and it made a difference in the acceptance of young women as lawyers. It opened doors for them. Sandra Day O'Connor, the pioneering first female Supreme Court justice, has died. We look back at her life and career this Friday, December 1st, on All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Juana Summers. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly. This hour, we speak to Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. I asked how she views China's influence on the world stage. A growing China, which plays by the rules, is a good thing for China, a good thing for America, and a good thing for the world. Later, a look at Israel's policy of administrative detention. Detainees are held without trial and under allegations kept secret by Israeli authorities. These are people who are being held on grounds that they cannot challenge, and that's the real problem. And what are the key ingredients to a good Christmas movie? First, the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. As world leaders gather in Dubai for COP28, the climate change summit, Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the U.S. is among the more than 130 countries signing a landmark declaration to tackle the relationship between what we eat and the changing climate. Our goal is for farmers, for ranchers, to be able to sustainably achieve bigger yields of more nutritious crops at lower costs, using less land, producing fewer emissions. That's the vision. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres told the group it's not too late to save the planet, but he says only if countries stop burning fossil fuels. A federal appeals court says former President Donald Trump doesn't have presidential immunity from lawsuits over the deadly January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. District, or Circuit rather, says civil lawsuits from Democratic lawmakers in Congress and U.S. Capitol Police against Trump can proceed. The lawmakers claim they were threatened by Trump and others as part of a conspiracy to stop the congressional session that would certify the 2020 presidential election. The court says not everything a president does or says while in office is protected from liability. After months of controversy, New York Republican George Santos was expelled from Congress this morning. NPR's Alejandra Marquez Hansa has more. The expulsion comes even after Republican leaders, including the Speaker Mike Johnson, said they would vote against it. The yeas are 311, the nays are 114, two-thirds voting in the affirmative, the resolution is adopted. Prosecutors have accused Santos of a litany of financial misdeeds made with campaign money. And the vote to expel him comes two weeks after a damning report from the House Ethics Committee, which corroborated many of the allegations against him. Santos has now become the sixth congressman to be expelled from the House. And New York voters are expected to take to the polls in a special election early next year to replace him. Alejandra Marquez-Hanse, NPR News, The Capitol. Retired Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor has died from complications of dementia and a respiratory infection. O'Connor was the first woman to sit on the nation's highest court, appointed by former President Ronald Reagan in 1981. And it would be more than a decade before she was joined by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The minute Justice Ginsburg arrived, the media pressure was off, I think, for both of us. And we just became two of the nine justices. And it was just such a welcome change. She retired in 2006 and became an outspoken critic of what she saw as modern threats to judicial independence. Wall Street preliminary closing numbers, the Dow up 294, NASDAQ up 78. This is NPR News.
This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. The Massachusetts House today failed again to adopt a supplemental budget to close out fiscal uh, 2023. For the second straight day, Republicans blocked a vote on the bill, which contains $250 million for the state's overcrowded shelter system. GOP lawmakers want more say on how that money is spent. The House will try again tomorrow to push the measure through. City of Boston has reached a five-year contract agreement with its largest police union. The Boston Police Patrolmen's Association has been without a contract since 2020. The deal still needs to be ratified by a majority of members. And the price of heating oil in Massachusetts is slightly up. The State Department of Energy Resources survey shows the average price last week at 4.15 a gallon. That is four cents higher than a week before. In the forecast, milder temperatures going to stick around a while longer. Should fall to about 42 at the lowest overnight tonight, rising to the mid-50s tomorrow and about 50 degrees on Sunday. Tomorrow should be mainly gray, light rain, a more steady rain on Sunday. This is WBUR. It's 4.05. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, recognizing exceptionally creative individuals. This year's MacArthur Fellows and more information are at macfound.org. At NPR and this station, editorial integrity is non-negotiable. Your support ensures that our journalism remains independent. Stand with us and donate right now. Something. That is donate something, donate anything, donate as much as you can. <laughs> she's the smoothest Mag- of the smooth. Magna Chucker Birdie with me right now. And uh, she has come in after she did her entire shift and show earlier on today on Point uh, to encourage you, as I'm doing right now, to please end your week with a pledge to WBUR, whatever pledge you can afford. Think of how many times during the course of this week with all the news that broke, including today about the death of the first Supreme Court justice, woman. Supreme Court justice on the Supreme Court, and uh, also with the um, expelling of George Santos from the U.S. House. These are just two of the stories, the most recent stories that we cover for you. And we know that you appreciate that because you listen. So please, right now, pledge 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. Also, I just want to apologize to everyone in the control room and out there listening after being around for a couple of years. I think I know that red light means microphone on. Uh, but <laughs> but she don't worry. Wasn't. Lisa and I were actually behaving. We were. Um, it was all microphone safe. But <laughs> a little light moment there in what is actually quite a serious time of year. It's the holidays. I understand that. And there should be a world of joy and peace and fulfillment. Unfortunately, that's not what we have. And so therefore, at WBUR, we consider it our most fundamental duty to bring you the kind of news and information you can trust when times are difficult, when the world doesn't make sense, when it's going in a direction that you wish you wouldn't. You can always rely on the information and reporting that you get here on WBUR. And also, unfortunately, that costs money. It just does not come for free. And so we very much rely on your goodwill and your belief in us as translated through your donations, your contributions to WBUR. They help us Stay afloat. They help us bring you what you need every single day. So now's the time to call 1-800-909-9287. 
you know, whenever you call WBUR uh, and and pledge your money, whatever to whatever extent you can, as we hope you do right now, you know that what you're going to get back for your investment is what you hear on WBUR, what you get at WBUR.org. When you listen to our podcast from Endless Thread to Circle Round to The Common, um, when you read Cognoscenti, our fantastic ideas and opinion page, all of these things come to you. Like our, our new field guide to Boston that is so popular and so beautifully done. All of these things come to you as a result of your donation. So we hope you'll make a pledge right now. If you can do it monthly, say $10 a month, $50 a month if you can. Some people can do $100 a month or even a one-time gift. We so appreciate it. Every single penny goes into the what you get back on WBUR. It's a very transparent interaction. So please make your pledge now. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call, or you can do it definitely at WBUR.org. And Lisa, I'm so glad you mentioned the podcast, and especially Circle Around. We're, we're heavy Circle Around listeners in our family. It's a beautiful podcast for children. It takes fables from across history and around the world and re- reenacts them, reimagines them. They occasionally put together a road trip massive set of podcasts, and I put one in uh, to the car the other day. When we were driving down to New York, and for about five hours, my children were silent in the back, and I worried after a while that they weren't even breathing. But they were. They were just transported by the magic of the podcast circle around. It's it's a kind of it's not news, but it's a different kind of high quality public radio experience that you can only get here from WBUR. So now's the time to call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. Please do make the call right now. We are indebted to everybody who has made a pledge so far. So many people have. If you haven't, 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. Hi, I'm Kayla from Burlington, New Jersey, and I would say the best place I've ever visited was the island of Jamaica. My name is Bautin, I'm from Buenos Aires, Argentina. The best place I've ever traveled to is definitely Paris. Hi, this is Casey from Somerville. The best trip I've ever been on was when I got to go to just south of Acadia National Park called Northeast Harbor with my family a couple years ago. And while we were sailing, there were dolphins that were swimming next to us. Now, you might wonder why we have people talking about their dream trips, about the trips they have taken. Uh, that is because we have you have a chance to win a sweepstakes, and this offer ends at 7 o'clock tonight, sweepstakes, to go anywhere in the world that you would like to go. $10,000 customized trip by CBT Travel. It can be used for air and ground travel, hotel excursions, accommodations. This is a, a fantastic offer. Somebody's going to win it. And um, as one of my colleagues said the other day, you probably have a better chance of winning this than the lottery, but you have to make the call first. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Thank you so much. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Semester Off, an education and wellness program at Wellesley, helping college students get back on track through academics, executive functioning, coaching, and yoga. Semesteroff.com and AAFCPAs, accounting, audit, tax, advisory, and wealth management for nonprofits, commercial companies, and individuals. AAFCPA.com.
This is All Things Considered. From NPR News, I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Juana Summers. Retired Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor died today at the age of 93. She was the first woman to serve as a justice on the Supreme Court, and her tenure lasted a quarter of a century on the nation's highest court. After her retirement, she became an outspoken critic of what she viewed as modern threats to judicial independence. NPR legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg has this remembrance. During her tenure on the Supreme Court, Sandra Day O'Connor was called the most powerful woman in America because of her position at the center of a court that was so closely divided on so many major questions, she often cast the deciding vote in cases involving abortion, affirmative action, national security, campaign finance reform, separation of church and state, states' rights, and, of course, in the case that decided the 2000 election, Bush versus Gore. Her retirement allowed President Bush to appoint a far more conservative justice in her place, and that appointment tilted the court in a decidedly more conservative direction. O'Connor's retirement was the last step in a career that often had to balance family and career. In 2005, O'Connor's husband was suffering from Alzheimer's disease, and when the ailing Chief Justice, William Rehnquist, told her that he was putting off his retirement, O'Connor decided that with her husband's health declining, she could not wait and risk the possibility that the court would have two vacancies at once. As it turned out, that's what happened anyway. O'Connor announced her retirement, and the Chief Justice died weeks later. She stayed on for another six months while the confirmation hearings proceeded, and in a cruel twist of fate, her husband's health took such a precipitous downward turn that he had to be placed in a home. O'Connor wept on her last day on the bench, but she went on to lead a multifaceted life, most notably crisscrossing the United States, crusading against threats to judicial independence. Sandra Day O'Connor spent her early life riding horses and roping steers on the Lazy Bee, a 250-square-mile cattle ranch owned by her parents on the Arizona-New Mexico border. At age 10, she was sent away to school, and at age 16, she enrolled at Stanford, eventually graduating from law school third in her class. On the job market, she soon learned nobody seemed to want to hire a woman lawyer. After every job door was closed in her face, a desperate O'Connor finally made an offer to the San Mateo County attorney, an offer she hoped he would not be able to refuse. I wrote him a very long letter explaining all the reasons why I thought that I would be helpful to him in the office and offering to work for nothing if that was necessary. In the beginning, it was, but she soon was put on salary, and when she and her husband John moved to Arizona, she continued practicing law, stopping only when a dearth of babysitters forced a five-year hiatus to raise her three sons. Soon, she was a figure to be reckoned with in Arizona's political life. Elected to the state Senate, she quickly rose in Republican ranks to become the majority leader, then was appointed a state trial judge and a state appellate court judge. By then, it was 1981, and with the retirement of Justice Potter Stewart, President Reagan had a Supreme Court vacancy to fill. Stewart's imminent retirement was known to only a few inside the administration, and there was initially something of a battle over whether the president should fulfill his campaign promise to appoint a woman. Ken Starr, then an assistant to Attorney General William French Smith, recalls that staff aides examined Mr. Reagan's campaign words carefully, concluding he had not made an ironclad pledge, and some administration insiders urged the president to use this first appointment to name Robert Bork or some other conservative luminary to the high court. But that was not to be, says Starr. President Reagan 
uh, was not a word parser, and he felt that he had made a moral commitment to uh, a point, uh, a, a qualified uh, woman to the Supreme Court, that it was long overdue, etc., and that's what our marching orders were. But back then, the list of qualified women with any conservative credentials at all was a short one. Starr believes that O'Connor's name was first suggested by then-Justice William Rehnquist, a fellow Arizonan and a classmate of O'Connor's at Stanford. She soon won the nod from President Reagan. So today, I'm pleased to announce that upon completion of all the necessary checks by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, I will send to the Senate the nomination of Judge Sandra Day O'Connor of Arizona Court of Appeals for confirmation as an Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. She is truly a person for all seasons. In Arizona, Judge O'Connor met the press. This is a momentous day in my life and the life of my family. And I'm extremely happy and honored uh, to have been nominated by President Reagan for a position on the United States Supreme Court. O'Connor acknowledged that her appointment was a, quote, affirmative act, that she was not among the most qualified judges or scholars back then. But she won quick confirmation, her only opposition coming from right-to-life groups suspicious that she would not vote to overrule Roe v. Wade. Those fears would eventually be realized, but it would take many years. Once on the court, O'Connor's main concern, she later said, was whether she could do the job. If I stumbled badly, she said, it would make life much more difficult for women. As it turned out, of course, O'Connor's appointment gave a huge boost to women in the law. The minute I was confirmed and on the court, states across the country started putting more women on than had ever been the case on their Supreme Courts. And it made a difference in the acceptance of young women as lawyers. It opened doors for them. In the years that followed, O'Connor's impact on the law would be enormous. On the court, she became part of a conservative states' rights majority, voting to strike down key portions of the Brady Gun Control Law and the Violence Against Women Act. And she wrote the court's opinion declaring that the federal age discrimination law was unconstitutional insofar as it applied to state employees seeking damages for discrimination. We conclude that in stripping the states of their sovereign immunity, Congress exceeded its constitutional authority. On the subject of racial discrimination and affirmative action, O'Connor was the key vote, writing many of the court's most important decisions. In the 1980s and 90s, she wrote landmark court decisions limiting the use of affirmative action for minority contractors. And she wrote the court's 1993 decision invalidating the use of race as the predominant factor in drawing majority black congressional districts. But in 2003, O'Connor wrote the court's opinion declaring for the first time that colleges and universities are justified in using race as a factor in college and graduate school admissions. Such diversity promotes learning and better prepares students for an increasingly heterogeneous workforce, for responsible citizenship, and for the legal profession. In each of the race cases, O'Connor followed a well-trodden path for her. Decide the case before you, make as few broad and sweeping rules as possible, and leave the door open for future change in a different set of circumstances. In 2004, she walked a similar careful line in the court's first enemy combatant case when she wrote the key opinion declaring that a state of war is not a blank check for the president, 
when it comes to the rights of the nation's citizens. Due process demands that a United States citizen held in the United States as an enemy combatant must be given a meaningful opportunity to contest the factual basis for that detention before a neutral decision-maker. In no area, though, was O'Connor more careful and successful at carving out a middle ground than on questions involving abortion. When she joined the court, a woman's right to an abortion was spelled out in Roe v. Wade as a relatively absolute right to privacy. But less than two years after joining the court, O'Connor dissented from a major extension of Roe, saying that, in her view, a state could regulate abortions unless those regulations imposed an undue burden on a woman's right to choose. Six years later, her separate concurring opinion in an abortion case allowed more state restrictions, but made it clear that she had deprived the court's four conservatives of a fifth vote to overrule Roe v. Wade. In 1992, the issue was back before the court, and O'Connor, joined this time by Justices Souter and Kennedy, voted to sustain what they called the core holding of Roe, a woman's right to an abortion, but using O'Connor's undue burden test. Some of us as individuals find abortion offensive to our most basic principles of morality, but that can't control our decision. Our obligation is to define the liberty of all, not to mandate our own moral code. We reaffirm the constitutionally protected liberty of the woman to decide to have an abortion before the fetus attains viability and to obtain it without undue interference from the state. Eight years later, she provided the fifth and deciding vote, this time invalidating a so-called partial birth abortion law. The statute, she said, provided no exception to preserve the health of the mother and thus imposed an undue burden. Within a year of her departure from the court, however, a new and more conservative court reached the opposite conclusion and upheld a federal ban on so-called partial birth abortions. It was a pattern that was to repeat itself in other areas of the law. When she was appointed to the Supreme Court, Sandra Day O'Connor knew she would be a role model for women. She persevered, even through a bout with breast cancer. For a year she wore a wig, looked drained and wan, but never missed a court day. She presided over a period in American law when women moved from being anomalies in the courtroom to the majority of the graduates in many major American law schools. And she left a profound mark on the history of the Supreme Court and the nation. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. WBUR supporters include Boston Ballet's The Nutcracker. Beloved characters and stunning dancing will enchant audiences of all ages through December 31st. Tickets at bostonballet.org. Coming up on WBUR, Israel's administrative detention policy, under which thousands of Palestinians are held without charge, sometimes for years. 
Stocks on this first day of December built on the November gains. Today, the Dow rose more than eight-tenths of a percent. S&P rose six-tenths of a percent to finish at its highest close of the year, and the Nasdaq grew by more than a half percent. In the forecast, 51 degrees, kind of gloomy out there today. Should have a cloudy, drizzling night down around 42. Clouds spend the weekend with off-and-on drizzle tomorrow back up in the mid-50s. Then for Sunday, overcast with a lot more rain likely, right about 50 degrees. It's 423. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Mass General Brigham Health Plan, integrated with one of the world's leading healthcare systems and offering innovative plans, a broad network of doctors, and options for individuals, families, and retirees. Mass General Brigham Health Plan is focused on you and those important to you every day. MassGeneralBrighamHealthPlan.org. And Revision Energy. Sunbug Solar is now part of Revision Energy a solar installer committed to fighting climate change in New England. SunbugSolar.com Truth, independence, fairness, transparency, respect, excellence. NPR. Donate. Thanks. In a word, donate. In another word, thank you. And then a couple more words, very much. If you've already made a, a contribution to WBR, we are so grateful, and many, many people have. If you haven't, please do, because it shows that you know how much we rely on you for the vast majority of our operating budget. The vast majority of listeners do not make a contribution. And we hope that you understand that this is a news source that is one of the best on the radio, if not the best, I should say, on the radio, because we are able to be responsive to you and your contributions and not to commercial interests. But that means that we don't have commercials. So please make a pledge right now. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins with On Point's Magna Chakrabarty. Hi there, Lisa. Now, I've always thought that the folks who listen to WBUR on a Friday night are our truest, most passionate listeners. Because not only this time around are you listening on a Friday night, you're listening on a Friday night where you know we're fundraising. So (laughs) I can guarantee you that somewhere in your heart of hearts, you know you need this station. And that's why I hope that uh, you decide to connect A and B together and do that by calling 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org to help us stay strong into next year where the news is most certainly going to keep on going, not just here locally and in Massachusetts, but around the world as well. I'm Kayla from Burlington, New Jersey, and I would say that the spot on top of my vacation bucket list right now is Rio de Janeiro. Hi, this is Casey from Somerville. My number one bucket list destination is Australia. I would love to go there because my parents lived there when they were in their 20s, and I'd love to just walk in their footsteps and see the sights that they saw and see the old apartment that they lived in, just get to experience all the animals and the nature and the culture that is in Australia. Where would you like to go? Well, you may have a chance to go there, wherever it is. Uh, the Galapagos Islands, uh, walk the, the Camino route in, in uh, from Portugal to Spain, go to Patagonia, go skiing in the Alps. There are so many options, and that's just a taste of it. You 
will be able to possibly win our sweepstakes if you make the phone call right now, and we hope you will. Pledge at 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org for your trip anywhere in the world. It's worth $10,000. You don't pay anything for it because we can handle your airfare, all your travel needs, uh, the incidentals, hotel, etc. It's a great gift, and it can be yours, but you have to win the sweepstakes, and you have to call in before seven o'clock tonight. I think that's the end. That is the uh, end of eligibility to be entered into this particular sweepstakes, seven o'clock tonight. So two and a half hours from now, you can either call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. And Lisa, I just have to ask yeah. if you could go anywhere in the world. Not saying. where. We- no, you're not saying? No, no. How about you? I would go to Rwanda. I would want to see the uh, mountain gorillas. Yes. Before, I mean, there's only a couple of hundred of them left before they're gone. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. But, you know, that's the thing. It's like it's a chance to realize a dream of a place that you thought you might never get a chance to visit all over planet Earth. And 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. It's a sweepstake, so you got to enter it. You could go to WBUR.org as well. But perhaps more importantly... W, by entering the sweepstakes, contributing to WBUR, you get a chance to see somewhere in the world. But every day on this station, you hear about what's going on around the world. So that's why we think this is such a great opportunity to bring the value of news that we uh, provide to you at WBUR along with this singular chance to uh, visit uh, a dream location of your choice. So 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call, but you've got to do it before 7 p.m. So make the phone call right now before 7 o'clock tonight and you can be entered or you will be entered into uh, Win the Sweepstakes. We hope that you do make the call. And by the way, for everybody who is a monthly subscriber to WBUR, you are automatically entered in. So you may have decided to be a monthly subscriber, you know, three years ago. That means that you could win. You don't have to um, uh, renew that because if you're still uh, donating to WBUR, you still get in on any kind of sweepstakes that we have to offer. So, and... um, Magna there mentioned that she'd like to go to Rwanda and see the gorillas. On that voyage, on that land excursion, that would be paid for too in these sweepstakes. It pays for pretty much anything. So if you go to uh, South Africa for safari, Kruger National Park, that's all paid for. Uh, Go see Cape Town and Table Mountain, as I was lucky enough to do, and that's paid for as well. So it's certainly worth your donation, but mostly WBUR is worth your donation. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Your contribution turns into something much larger for that because we convert it to the journalism that informs you and informs the community. Your contribution has impact, so call now. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Xfinity Internet with the Xfinity 10G network. So everyone at home can be online even at peak hours. Xfinity from Comcast. The future starts now. An office of the Massachusetts State Treasurer. Check to see if you have unclaimed property at findmassmoney.gov. Live from NPR News in Culver City, California, I'm Dwayne Brown. An absent Pope Francis is urging participants of the COP28 Climate Summit to take meaningful action for the future of the planet. NPR's Ruth Sherlock has more. 
Pope Francis had to cancel his trip to the COP28 summit in Dubai due to bronchitis. Messaging instead on the media platform X, he says, quote, We are called to take responsibility for the legacy we will leave behind after our time in this world, and warns that without action, climate change will harm the lives of millions of people. COP28 is in the United Arab Emirates, an oil-producing Gulf state, and the climate summit is headed by the CEO of the UAE's national oil company. In an earlier message on X this week, Pope Francis wrote he hopes participants will focus on the common good and the future of their children rather than the vested interests of certain countries or businesses. Ruth Sherlock, NPR News, Rome. In battle, New York Congressman George Santos has been expelled by members of the House today, becoming just the sixth member in the chamber's history to be ousted by colleagues. The Republican freshman's removal could open up a rare opportunity for Democrats to narrow the GOP's majority in the House before next year's elections. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is preparing to call a special election to fill the seat, which represents parts of Long Island and Queens within the next two weeks. He has not done what he has to do for New Yorkers, and I'm glad he's gone because I need people I can work with to fight for New York, to bring federal money to our state, to create jobs and opportunities, and George Santos just took up space. The House voted overwhelmingly to expel Santos after a blistering House ethics report found that he converted campaign funds for his own personal enrichment, including designer clothing, rent, and Botox treatments. Stocks finished higher on Wall Street today. This is NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. I'm Lisa Mullins. Massachusetts is on pace to meet its near-term climate goals, but there is work that needs to be done. According to the state's first annual climate report card, it was released today. State law requires Massachusetts to reach net zero carbon emissions by 2050. The report shows there were 70,000 electric vehicles on the road last year, 10,000 more than anticipated. But there are currently fewer than 6,500 public charging stations in Massachusetts. The state estimates it's going to need 15,000 by 2025. Massachusetts House Republicans blocked a vote on the state's nearly $3 billion supplemental budget today for a second day in a row. As WBR's Walter Wuthman reports, the package includes hundreds of millions of dollars for the state's overcrowded shelter system. The legislature is in what's called an informal session, so a handful of Republicans in the House have unusual power to block a bill with a single objection. They forced the House to gavel out this afternoon by doubting the presence of a quorum. Minority Leader Brad Jones says they're opposed to the shelter system funding. My caucus continues to have a concern over the migrant issue. We're spending $250 plus million on top of what's already been appropriated, and every single indication is, is that the governor of the Commonwealth is going to file Um, a new request either at the end of this year or in in January looking for additional resources. Democrats say Republicans are holding up billions of dollars in funding for state employees and programs. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Walter Wuthman. A Boston tradition celebrates a big milestone today. The Boston Pops kick off their 50th holiday concert season at Symphony Hall tonight. The annual series began in 1973 with just three concerts led by then-conductor Arthur Fiedler. Pops conductor Keith Lockhart says the concerts have expanded in scope. Certainly over the last few years, we've paid a lot more attention to bringing uh, music from other holiday traditions, uh, not just Hanukkah traditions, but also uh, Afro-Caribbean celebrations, uh, gospel takes on the season. This year's Pops performances include nearly 40 concerts, including a sensory-friendly event tomorrow. This is WBUR. 
We are funded by you, our listeners, and by the Home for Little Wanderers, creating better, brighter futures for kids because no child should go through life alone. Thehome.org. And Semester Off, an education and wellness program in Wellesley, helping college students and high school grads get back on track. Spring semester starts January 22nd. Semesteroff.com. Celtics take on the Philadelphia 76ers at the Garden tonight, 7.30 start time. Overnight tonight, lows about 42 degrees, lots of clouds around, more clouds over the weekend. In the mid-50s tomorrow, about 50 on Sunday, mainly gray both days. Some light rain tomorrow, a steadier rain though on Sunday. 51 degrees now in Boston at 4.35. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from the Nature Conservancy, partnering with communities across the globe to find solutions to the climate and biodiversity crises, committed to building a future where people and nature can thrive. Nature.org solutions. And from the NPR Wine Club, where members can explore wines from around the world, and every purchase supports NPR's high-quality journalism. Available to adults 21 or older. NPRWineClub.org. This is NPR. This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Juana Summers. Hostilities between Israel and Hamas resumed today as the week-long ceasefire came to an end. During the short pause in fighting, a total of 105 hostages captured by Hamas were freed in exchange for 240 Palestinian prisoners held in Israeli custody. However, even with those hundreds of Palestinians released, the overall number of Palestinians taken into Israeli custody has increased since the start of the war. According to the United Nations Human Rights Office, as many as 3,000 Palestinians have been arrested since October 7th, many of whom are being held without any formal charges under a policy known as administrative detention. Here to help us understand more about the controversial policy is Philip Luther. He is a senior research and policy advisor for Amnesty International. Philip, welcome to All Things Considered. Thanks very much indeed. Can you just start by helping us understand exactly what administrative detention is and also how extensively it's used by the Israeli military? Sure. So administrative detention is a form of detention whereby individuals are detained by the state without any intent to prosecute them in a trial. And they're held on the basis of secret security information that the detainee and their lawyer cannot review. Hmm. Israel has been using this form of detention since its occupation of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, so back to 1967. Then does the Israeli military ever give justification at all for these detentions? No, except for very brief explanations that they are being held on security grounds. Um, And it's important to understand this is a military system, effectively. The detainee is brought before a military judge. Um, The military judge can impose a, normally it's a six-month administrative detention order, and it's up to that military officer to then decide whether that detention is extended, and it often is, up to a year, sometimes up to two years, and beyond. What types of conditions are detainees held under? The first thing to say is that detainees are held in Israeli prisons in Israel. And in Israel, their families usually have a major problem visiting them. Uh, and so that, that in itself is a cruel system and, and exacerbates the conditions. Now, 
the situation has been exacerbated by the Israeli authorities' imposition of a state of emergency in prisons since the hostilities started in October. So that has given Israeli authorities in prisons virtually unrestrained powers to hold detainees in overcrowded cells and impose, in some cases, collective punishment measures, such as cutting off water or electricity to their cells. I mean, we're obviously having this conversation in the middle of an ongoing conflict between Israel and Mm. Hamas. And as we've pointed out, hundreds of Palestinians have been detained since October 7th. But there are those who might argue that Israel has the right to detain people that they believe are a threat to them, especially during a war. How would you respond to that? Israel does indeed have the, the right and the duty to protect its citizens, and not only its citizens, but Palestinians who live in areas that are controlled by Israel. So there's no question about that. But these are people who are being held on grounds that they cannot challenge. And that's the real problem. And it's not only that that's the problem, it's the fact that it's discriminatory. I mean, one of the major concerns in terms of security in the West Bank is Israeli settlers who are then attacking Palestinians, in some cases aided and abetted by Israeli security forces. They are not being subjected to administrative detention. In some cases, they're not being subjected to any form of scrutiny. And that's why there's such a problem here. That's Philip Luther of Amnesty International. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. President Biden's re-election campaign is ramping up efforts to draw a contrast to former President Trump. Trump is the prohibitive frontrunner in the race to be the Republican nominee. Polls show there is malaise among voters about the idea of a 2020 rematch that no one seems to want. And as NPR senior White House correspondent Tamara Keith reports, Biden's team is working to break through it. On the Saturday after Thanksgiving, when not a lot of people were paying attention, former President Trump posted on his social media site that Republicans should never give up on repealing and replacing Obamacare. It would be easy for something like this to get lost amongst the torrent of memes and complaints about prosecutors and judges Trump posts at all hours. But Biden and his team weren't about to let that happen. And my predecessors, once again, God love him, call for cuts that could rip away health insurance for tens of millions of Americans. That was Monday at the White House, a newsy comment tossed into an unrelated speech. By Tuesday morning, the Biden campaign put together a press call with former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Thank you to the Biden-Harris campaign for organizing this call to discuss the dire threat to the health and well-being of America's families posed by Donald Trump. That night, perhaps seeing all the coverage, Trump had more to say, posting, among other things, quote, Obamacare sucks. Republicans have pretty much stopped talking about repealing the Affordable Care Act because it's gotten popular and going after it was seen as a political loser. So, of course, the Biden campaign seized on it. Michael Tyler, the communications director for the campaign, says Americans need to know what Trump is promising to do in a second term. Talking about rounding up Latinos, banning Muslims, rooting out his political enemies like Vermin, echoing the rhetoric that we've seen from folks like Hitler and Mussolini in the past. So when he does that, we are going to raise the stakes for folks. As the campaign sees it, the former president's extreme ideas are barely breaking through with voters, thanks to a combination of Trump fatigue and a fractured media environment. So they are working to amplify Trump's own words. This is a pretty dramatic shift from a couple of years ago when Biden world treated Trump like Voldemort, the one who must not be named. 
Now, even Biden himself is regularly not only naming him, but using stark language about the dangers of a second Trump term. And let there be no question, Donald Trump and his mega Republicans are determined to destroy American democracy. That was Biden at a fundraiser in New York City, in audio posted online. Trying to make a re-election campaign about a choice is a strategy as old as time. And it's an absolute necessity for Biden, says pollster Christine Matthews. Everyone can see the latest polls. So if it is a referendum in 2024 on Joe Biden, he will lose. Matthews runs Bellwether Research and does polling for moderate Republicans. She says a lot of people tuned out after Biden was inaugurated and have forgotten the chaos and instability that were Trump's trademarks. Right now, the hazy veil of memory is benefiting Trump. People are looking back and it's a little fuzzy, but it seems like, gosh, things weren't as expensive. Voters say they're worried about inflation, the state of the world and the president's age. And all of that is weighing down Biden's approval. But that's also where a contrast can help. Ben Wickler is chair of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. He says party volunteers recently went out knocking on the doors of people who are not normally Democratic voters, asking them what they care about and how they'd feel about Trump winning. However upset people are with whatever is bothering them at this moment, there are so many people who do not want that guy to get back into the White House. And those are the people Biden needs to win. Tamara Keith, NPR News. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink, sponsoring Discovery Museums, more than 2,500 traveling science workshops for Massachusetts schools. And Fidelity Investments, reminding you it's never too early to start saving for your child's future. Learn more about a tax-advantaged 529 college savings account and how you can use the money to pay for qualified expenses at fidelity.com slash ufund. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Supporting WBUR is about the good we do when we band together with a common goal. It's about making a modest contribution to create stories and conversations that make your world bigger. Hi, it's Robin Young. Give $10 or $15 a month an ongoing contribution, which will help sustain WBUR for everyone who listens. Please give now at WBUR.org. And thank you to everybody who's given so far, as many people have. If you haven't, now is the time. One great thing to be able to check off your list before you start into the weekend, the first weekend of December, which we know starts a really busy time for a lot of people. So please, this is important to us, and we think it's important to you as well. Here's the number, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins here with On Point host Magna Chakrabarty. And as a reminder, excuse me, as a reminder, we are really looking down at the last couple of hours, just two hours and 15 minutes for this wonderful sweepstakes that we have going on here. It's uh, an opportunity, if you win, to visit anywhere in the world. Your dream vacation, essentially. And you've got to enter it. You've got to do that. You can either do that through WBUR.org or by calling 1-800-909-9287. But remember, the deadline is 7 o'clock tonight. Thank you, Brian. Listen to Brian Wilson. 
does that interest you? Maybe you want to go to California, California, especially of the 1960s and 70s. Listen to Brian. But... Oh, that's Was time right. travel we'll included? Again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great for no extra charge? Yeah, boy, the warmth of the sun. So think of the places that you would like to go where there's sunshine right now. Maybe the Galapagos Islands, wouldn't it be fantastic? New Zealand, where you can uh, explore geothermal wonders. So many places uh, are at just really at your fingertips. But first, you have to uh, make the phone call at 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. And when you do, you'll be automatically entered in to win the sweepstakes to anywhere in the world. And that is a trip that's worth $10,000. You know, the reason why uh, we think sweepstakes like this work really well with listeners like you is because the number one thing that differentiates public radio listeners from uh, folks who look to other kinds of media is curiosity. People just love you, just love learning about the world and discovering more and uh, having your own curiosity questions answered about what's happening all around the planet. So... I would say that the opportunity to potentially win uh, a vacation, a dream vacation to a location of your choice, well, there's something that could satisfy (laughs) a lot of people's curiosities. But in order to get in on this sweepstakes, there's two things you got to do. First, call 1-800-909-9287. Or go to WBUR. And second, you must do it before 7 o'clock tonight because that's when we're closing the the gate on uh, entries for this uh, for the sweepstakes. So again, 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call and do it before 7 o'clock. We hope you'll do that uh, because a strong independent media presence in a region helps to create informed communities, and that you are. Um, critical thinkers listen to WBUR, and we help you along the way with that because we don't tell you how to think about anything. We present all sides and let you make up your own decision on something, and it enriches the population overall. So. When you think about it, when you listen to WBUR, why wouldn't you want to give, especially knowing that we don't have commercials, we don't have any kind of a paywall, there's really no bulwark between us and uh, or you and the news, what we present to you. So, And that's the way we want it. So we ask you to help fund it, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. You name the amount you'd like to give. It can be on a monthly basis. It can be on a one-time basis. But we'd be so grateful if you would participate and make your donation now. And if you can, that monthly basis is a terrific way to have your contribution, your impact on WBUR go on and on and on. Any amount that uh, works for you. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call or WBUR.org. And remember, if you do it before 7 o'clock tonight, that's uh, 2 hours and 10 minutes, you get in on a chance for that sweepstakes. Thanks so much. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Data IQ, a platform for everyday AI. Dedicated to helping teams move beyond the lab to build generative AI applications at enterprise scale. D-A-T-A-I-K-U dot com. And from Procter & Gamble, maker of Metamucil, a fiber supplement containing psyllium, a plant-based fiber for trapping and removing waste in the digestive system, designed to be taken every day. More at metamucil.com. This is NPR.
Marijuana is now legal in some form in most states, but it is still illegal to transport it across state lines. As a result, several states are facing an unusual problem, too much marijuana. Amanda Aronchik of our Planet Money team looks at how one entrepreneur and his lawyer are tackling the problem. Matt Ochoa and I are at a farm, and it's a bit like being at one of those giant corn mazes. But instead of corn, it's all seven or eight foot high marijuana plants. These are not even big, big plants in Oregon's scope. I've seen plants really? 12, 17 feet tall. Matt runs a company called Jefferson Packing House that helps farms like this one with harvesting and processing their plants. Lately, they just leave perfectly good weed in the field. Don't even bother harvesting all of it. If we're in 1996 and a high school kid came through here, he'd think he died and went to heaven. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's still a lot of weed here. There's tons. That's because Oregon is growing so much weed these days. There's nearly a pound of dried, smokable weed for every single person in the state. Great if that's what everyone wants, but bad if you're trying to sell it. The sale price was a lot higher a few years ago. Every gram was worth five, ten bucks. And now it's like a gram of finished flowers, like a dollar. Matt thinks the solution to Oregon's glut of marijuana is pretty straightforward. Trade. Sell it to people who want it outside of the state. We are an export state. Without export, we're really going to struggle. It's like if you try to take like Georgia peaches and say they could only sell them in Georgia. Matt thought that he'd be exporting marijuana, that federal legalization would have happened by now. But there are actually still a bunch of barriers to selling Oregon weed out of state. Not just federal law, but also, somewhat surprisingly, a state ban. All states that have legalized marijuana have this kind of ban on their books. It's largely a nod to federal prohibition. So last year, Matt agreed to be part of a lawsuit against the state of Oregon, brought by lawyer Andrew DeWeese. The point? All businesses in Oregon should be free of this unconstitutional ban that Oregon has put on import and export. Yes, he said unconstitutional. That's because of a clause in the Constitution, the Commerce Clause. Yeah, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution gives Congress the power to, quote, regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. Congress regulates trade, not the states. Like Michigan can't pass a law that says supermarkets in Michigan can only sell apples grown in Michigan. No apples from, you know, Washington or Virginia. So Andrew is arguing that Oregon's ban is unconstitutional. This lawsuit is kind of a way to skirt around federal prohibition. Like, they're hoping that the federal government would just look the other way if Oregon had no ban and say Nevada also had no ban. Then maybe those two states where marijuana is legalized could both enjoy weed from Oregon. We grow the best marijuana in the world. Oh, wait, hold on. I just got a phone call from California. <laughs> they would like to dispute that with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll dispute that all day. <laughs> Commerce Clause arguments have had some success in the marijuana industry over the last couple of years. But because this one requires other states to also strike down their bans, it could be complicated. Amanda Aronchik, NPR News. Support for Planet Money comes from Fisher Investments. As a fiduciary, Fisher Investments is obligated to act in their clients' best interest. Learn more at fisherinvestments.com. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Cityside Subaru on Route 60 in Belmont. Celebrating this season of giving with Subaru's Share the Love event, now through January 2nd. 
As you support organizations that have deep meaning in your life and in our community, please make a tax-deductible year-end contribution to WBUR. I'm Tiziana Deering. Your gift of cash or stock or a contribution from your donor-advised fund will become something much bigger. Your gift will enrich communities across Boston and throughout our region. Simply put, it'll help us all. Give now at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. That's one thing to keep in mind when you give to WBUR, that your contribution turns into something much larger because we convert it into journalism, and journalism informs the community. An informed community is a community that makes better decisions about things, that takes more control of things, that pays attention to what's happening in government, and that's basically what we want. We want our um, uh, news and your contribution to work together to have impact. Here's the number, 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins with Meghna Chakraborty. Hi there, Lisa. And, you know, we always strive to, first and foremost, bring you the best news and journalism and stories uh, that we possibly can, the best anywhere. But second of all, try to give you a whole variety of reasons to help keep WBUR strong through your contributions. And, Our reason today is that in addition to the news and information, you have a chance, if you donate before 7 o'clock, to get entered automatically into this wonderful sweepstakes that we have going on uh, for a trip anywhere in the world of your choice. Did you say anywhere in the world? I literally said anywhere in the world. That's unbelievable. But it happens. You still haven't told me where you want to go. Okay. (laughs) But my goal is before 7 o'clock to get that out of you. Because at 7 o'clock, this is over. This is over. So you got to call before 7. And here's the thing. I know a lot of you out there might be like, you know, uh, it's too good to believe or what's my chances of winning. But it happens. Every sweepstakes, we actually do call up people and tell them they've won. And if you don't believe me, just listen to Carol and Mark from Brockton. They won a Subaru Forester from a previous WBUR sweepstakes. And Carol told us how she and Mark had learned that they had won when they were told by Julie on our membership team. We came home to a, a message on the machine and sort of looked at one another and said, oh, this has got to be a scam. Julie had sent a matching email. So then... Mark checked out on different things to be sure that she was telling us the truth. When we got in the Forester, it was like, oh, this is it. This is a beautiful car. We're regular donors to WBUR because we listen and we enjoy the station. So we just, how many times a year, make a donation? That was one of the questions when Mark said to me, did you enter this contest? And I had to admit, I said, I don't know, because I was donating regularly, not donating for the contest. And thanks to Cityside and you guys for getting us a new car. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just wanted to jump in here and first of all say thank you to Carol and Mark for being sustaining donors to WBUR. And also, Mark... I swear, he's he's gunning for a job here at WBR with that fact-checking that he did about whether or not this was legit and they had really won. But that's the kind of intelligence and the kind of good humor uh, that we think... Uh, really personifies WBOR listeners. So call now at 1-800-909-9287. And you could be the next winner of this current sweepstakes that we have for a vacation 
anywhere in the world of your choice. That's right. It's not a Subaru Forester. But I did notice, Megna, that they didn't really believe they had won it until they were actually sitting in the Forester. I think that's when it kind of <laughs> locked in. So as we said, we're not giving away a car this time around. It's sweepstakes, and, and you have uh, just about two hours uh, in which to enter yourself to win, make a call, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. It is a trip that is worth $10,000, and wherever you decide you want to go, you can take a side road that will also be paid for within that amount of money, of course. And there are so many possibilities. You can go to the Alps. You can go to Patagonia. You can go to Hawaii. You can go to Indonesia. Uh, Megna wants to go to Rwanda, so maybe she'll take you with her if she wins. No, she can't win. So I cannot you win. and take Megna with you. <laughs> I will not win. Right. There are so many places, so many things that you can do. So please, right now, make the phone call because that's your first step. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. WBUR.org, as Lisa said. And just, just to be clear, as a WBUR employee, I cannot win in, or enter this sweepstakes. So I will go with you in spirit, wherever it is that that uh, your trip takes you. <laughs> 1-800-909-9287 or wbur.org and remember you've got to do it before seven o'clock tonight yeah please do thank you again so much support for npr comes from this station and from the public welfare foundation committed to advancing a transformative approach to justice that is community-led restorative and racially just learn more at publicwelfare.org from the Cy Sims Foundation, since 1985, supporting advances in science, education, and the arts towards a fairer, more just, and civil society. More information is available at CySimsFoundation.org. From American Jewish World Service, supporting human rights advocates worldwide in the fight for democracy, equity, and justice for all people. Learn more at AJWS.org. And from listeners like you, who donate to this NPR station. I'm evening host Garo Hagopian, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Jack Spear. Secretary of State Antony Blinken concluded his trip to the Middle East today after a brief stop in Dubai at COP28. As he left, he made comments about his visit to Israel in the occupied West Bank as the temporary truce between Israel and Hamas broke down earlier this morning. NPR's Kat Lonsdorf has more. This was Blinken's third trip to the Middle East since this war began, and he was focused on what happens next. I made clear that after the pause, it was imperative that Israel put in place clear protections for civilians uh, and for sustaining humanitarian assistance uh, going forward. He went on to mention that Israel did that today by sending out information for evacuating to safety in Gaza. But that information is largely found on the Israeli military's website, and internet, cell service, and electricity have been extremely limited in Gaza. Blinken blamed Hamas for the breakdown of the truce, saying it fired rockets first and didn't follow through with hostage commitments. Hamas blamed Israel for rejecting their offer. Kat Lonsdorf, NPR News, Tel Aviv. A federal appeals court has ruled former President Donald Trump is not absolutely 
immune from civil lawsuits seeking to hold him responsible for the violent January 6th attack in the U.S. Capitol. The decision is tied to lawsuits filed by Capitol Police officers and Democratic lawmakers seeking damages from Trump. NPR's Ryan Lucas has more. The former president and his attorneys have argued that Trump was protected from civil suits by the absolute immunity presidents enjoy when performing their official duties. The question before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals was whether Trump's actions leading up to January 6th and on the day itself constituted official acts of the presidency. Now, a three-judge panel on the appeals court says at this stage, the answer is no. It says campaigning for the White House is not an official act of the presidency. It's an act of an office seeker, not an office holder. And therefore, Trump is subject to civil liability like any private citizen. But the court leaves open the door to Trump raising immunity claims at a later stage. The court's ruling is also subject to appeal. Ryan Lucas, NPR News, Washington. On this vote, the yeas are 311, the nays are 114, with two recorded as present. The clerk reading the roll call today as for only the third time since the Civil War. The House has expelled one of its own, New York Republican George Santos. Lawmakers surpassing the required two-thirds supermajority required to remove him from office. The vote to oust the 35-year-old Santos marks the end of a saga that began shortly after his election. When allegations began to surface, he had lied about his work history, educational achievements, and other matters. It resulted in a deeper investigation into his financial dealings and charges including allegedly scamming political donors. Santos is scheduled to go on trial in September of next year. Stocks closed broadly higher on Wall Street today. The Dow was up 294 points. This is NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. The entire Massachusetts congressional delegation voted with a majority to expel George Santos from the House today. Congressman Lori Trahan calls George Santos a serial fraudster who put his personal, political, and financial interests ahead of Americans. Governor Maura Healey says she is heartbroken over the death of an Air Force sergeant from Pittsfield. Staff Sergeant Jacob Gallagher died Wednesday when the Osprey aircraft he was on went down off the coast of Japan. He leaves behind a wife and two young sons. Seven other airmen aboard the aircraft remain missing. Massachusetts lawmaker is demanding that car makers start to enforce stronger data privacy protections in their vehicles. U.S. Senator Ed Markey says cars have effectively become computers on wheels that collect vast amounts of data from drivers and passengers. He accuses the manufacturers of having confusing policies to explain how they use the data. Celtics meet up with the Philadelphia 76ers at the Garden tonight. And in the forecast, milder temperatures sticking around a while longer should fall to about 40 degrees overnight and then rise to the mid-50s tomorrow, about 50 degrees on Sunday. Lots of clouds around through the weekend, some showers tomorrow, more rain on Sunday. It's 5.05. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, supporting books, radio, podcasts, film, television, theater, and more to bridge science and the humanities. At NPR and this station, editorial integrity is non-negotiable. Your support ensures that our journalism remains independent. Stand with us and donate right now. 
Please do donate. Before we go back to the news, we're going to be hearing about the resumption of Israel and Hamas fighting in Gaza. Um, Also about George Santos being expelled from Congress. Already think of all the stories that you've heard on WBUR and think of what you would pay if you wanted to pay for each one of those, sort of like in a jukebox. How much would you pay for each individual story? We're not asking you to do that. We're asking you to, to look at the amalgam at the entire amount of news that we bring to you during the course of a day, a week, a year, however much time you decide to spend with WBUR and put a dollar value on it. And do it right now, if you will, as we um, uh, are in the midst of this end-of-year fund drive, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins, happy to be joined in the studio by On Point's Magna Chakrabarty. Hi there, Lisa. You know, given the amount of national and international news going on right now, it's natural for us to uh, to remind you how much W brings WBUR brings to you in terms of giving context to the news of the moment. But I'm also looking over at our local newsroom right now. I can see it right through the glass of uh, of our studio here. And just seeing that reminds me that we have some reporters in this station who are the experts in the field they cover because they have been reporting on some of these issues for so long. So you know that when a Martha Biebinger or a Deb Becker go out there and uh, keep chipping away at stories that really matter, that have really been having an impact on our region for years and years and years, you're hearing from the best. You're literally hearing from the best and most knowledgeable journalists about those issues. Your continued support of WBUR is absolutely what makes that happen. So please do call at 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And if I have an extra second here, I'm going to throw in that reminder. You really want to call tonight before seven o'clock because you get entered into that automatic sweepstakes for uh, a dream vacation anywhere of your choosing worth about $10,000. So the only stipulation is you've got to call or uh, get online before seven o'clock tonight. Hi, I'm Kayla from Burlington, New Jersey, and I would say the best place I've ever visited was the island of Jamaica. My name is Bautu and I'm from Buenos Aires, Argentina. The best place I've ever traveled to is definitely Paris. Hi, this is Casey from Somerville. The best trip I've ever been on was when I got to go to just south of Acadia National Park called Northeast Harbor with my family a couple years ago. And while we were sailing, there were dolphins that were swimming next to us. You know, let's say in Canada, uh, the Trans-Canadian National Railway, how about that? It was built in the 1800s when all the action was happening in the east of the country and the west wanted some attention. So they built the railway. It starts in Montreal, goes all the way through the Canadian Rockies and arrives in British Columbia. I'm not sure how much that trip is, but you've got $10,000 to play with if you win the sweepstakes. So first thing you have to do is make the phone call, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. The trip is certainly infinite in its beauty, I can tell you that, right? You've done it. (laughs) 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. Uh, I mean, taking a train trip across Canada, it's something I never even thought of doing, but now now, Lisa, you've made me add it to my bucket list. Yeah, good. But guess what? If you enter our sweepstakes, which you automatically will enter if you call us before 7 o'clock tonight, then maybe something on your bucket list you'll get to cross off if you win this singular opportunity to travel anywhere in the world uh, to have the dream vacation of your choice. 
All you have to do is call 1-800-909-9287 to contribute any amount that works for you. You can also do that through WBUR.org. But let me remind you one more time. It's about 10 past 5 right now, so which means we're under two hours. One hour and 50 minutes, in fact to uh, get you to call in because at 7 o'clock this opportunity closes down, right, Lisa? It does at 7 o'clock tonight, so please make the phone call. And as Magna said, you could just knock something off your bucket list if you win the sweepstakes. Let's talk about your to-do list, your to-do list for this week or for today, in fact. Wouldn't it be great to cross off Give to WBUR? And then, you know, you get into your weekend, the first weekend of December, and having already done something that is beneficial to you and beneficial to the community as well, because you're investing in a high-quality news source, the best kind of news source there is around, even-handed journalism. And since so many newsrooms are closing, don't you want a place that you can trust, the place that's growing, a place that is beholden to you, not to commercial interests at all? And that's why we're asking for your pledge right now, whatever amount you can. If you can do a one-time pledge, we appreciate it. If you can do a monthly pledge and don't know where to start out, maybe $10 a month, $15 a month. Some can do $100 a month. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. We're funded by you, our listeners and by Ocean State Job Lot, committed to fighting hunger in the Northeast by donating food to local food banks and pantries. OceanStateJobLot.com and The Provider Group, an insurance brokerage and benefits firm serving high net worth individuals and businesses, working with carriers like Safety Insurance. ProviderIG.com. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Juana Summers. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly. Israel and Hamas are back at war. For a week, there was a pause in the fighting. Hamas released 105 hostages it was holding, and Israel freed 240 Palestinian prisoners and detainees. But that pause was day to day. There's still some 100 hostages, and today Israel is again carrying out airstrikes in southern Gaza, and Hamas is again firing rockets into Israel. We go now to NPR's Eleanor Beardsley, who is in Israel, reporting from Tel Aviv. Hey, Eleanor. Hi, Mary Louise. What happened? Why did this ceasefire break down? Well, Israel accused Hamas of violating it by shooting rockets overnight. And Hamas says Israel refused its latest offer of a hostage prisoner exchange. So at 7 o'clock this morning, the truce was over. And within the first hours, Israel said it struck more than 200 targets in Gaza. And Gazan health officials said at least 100 people had been killed. Today, an Israeli army spokesman spoke in Arabic in a message on its Telegram and YouTube channel telling Gazans that Hamas is using them as human shields and hiding among them. And the army published an interactive evacuation map to show civilians how to get away from targeted areas. But with internet, cell service, and electricity going out all the time in Gaza, it's not sure how effective that would be. Israel also dropped leaflets urging civilians to leave areas that were being targeted. But, you know, Mary Louise, in the first couple months of the war, we saw Israel still striking areas it told people to go to. So we don't know if any area is safe. And just what does it feel like where you are? What what were you seeing? What were you hearing today? Well, today felt a lot more tense. Uh, you know, for days we've been seeing these videos on on television and on social media of these joyful uh, reunions of families with with the hostages and the prisoners who have been released. And today I heard 
booming in the sky over Tel Aviv. That was the Iron Dome air defense system kicking in to shoot down rockets, and it sounded like thunder. Yeah. And I took a trip to the south today, Yeah, and we saw smoke puffs in the sky where rockets were shot down, and there were several announcements on the car radio of incoming rockets. And just a few miles away in Gaza, NPR's longtime producer Anas Baba said just as people were starting their day, Israel started bombing. He says he saw a house hit. Here he is. The families that's neighboring the, the target house, most of them, they were just like screaming in the streets and their faces are covered with dust, with the gray dust. Uh, they were screaming that uh, we didn't we, we didn't know anything we didn't uh, we didn't understand what's happened. And Eleanor, what are Israelis you're speaking with saying? What is their understanding of the situation? You know, here in Tel Aviv, um, you have many of the families of the hostages, and they gather daily to demonstrate. And they are saying that the top priority should be getting all of the hostages out before the war continues. But I was in the southern city of Beersheva this afternoon, and people were much more resolute. This southern city is a place that has been consistently targeted by Hamas rockets over the years. And this is what 46-year-old Solomon Elhanov told me just outside of a shopping mall. I think he says, we have to finish this story because we've been suffering for many years and this has to be the end of Hamas in Gaza. He said the time has come to deal with it once and for all. He said we have one of the strongest armies in the world and there's no other option. And Eleanor, we have been tracking U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's visit to the region all week. He was just stepping on a plane to leave when this truce ended, is that right? Absolutely. You know, the U.S. has been pushing both sides to extend the truce, but today the fighting started up again. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley reporting today in Tel Aviv. Thank you. You're welcome, Mary Louise. George Santos is out. The House of Representatives has voted to expel the first-term Republican from Congress. Here's his fellow Republican New Yorker, Anthony D'Esposito, after the vote. You go to the barbershop, you go to church, you go get a slice of good New York pizza, and people want to talk about George Santos. What we should be talking about is the work that we were doing here to secure our border, to rein in spending. We didn't want to spend the first 11 months talking about George Santos, and I hope today is the beginning of not having to talk about him anymore. Santos is now just the sixth member of Congress to be expelled by the House ever. NPR congressional reporter Eric McDaniel is on Capitol Hill and watched the vote happen. Hi, Eric. Hi, Juana. So, Eric, tell me, what happened? How did this all go down? So, all but four Democrats and nearly half of Republicans said it was time for him to go. The final tally on this vote was 311 to 114, with some folks saying present, some not voting. Anyway, more than enough to hit the two-thirds threshold, and they've already changed the locks on Santos's office. But look, I will say, until the vote started, I actually didn't know which way this was going to go. Speaker Mike Johnson, he's a constitutional lawyer, he said he was concerned about precedent here. Santos has, of course, not been convicted of a crime. But Johnson said he wasn't going to try and push his members either way on this. And then this morning, Johnson announced he was voting to keep Santos. And so did the rest of Republican leadership. Just imagine if our boss came to us and said, no pressure, whatever you decide, but this is what me and the editor-in-chief are doing. That's a lot of pressure. But then there was another dramatic development, if you want to hear about it. I mean, Eric, you know I love drama. So there was an email. Hold on, it gets more exciting. It was from Ohio Republican Max Miller to his fellow Republicans, and I got my hands on it. Miller said he himself was a victim of Santos's alleged credit card fraud, and so was his mom. Mm. He says they're out tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees trying to fix it, and so that 
yeah, he was going to vote to oust Santos. Didn't expect that term, but credit card fraud, that was one of those federal criminal charges that got Santos into this whole mess in the first place, right? Right. There are 23 federal criminal charges. Santos is accused of stealing money from his campaign, deceiving his donors. Those allegations were largely backed up in this report by Republican uh, Republican-led report, a bipartisan group of lawmakers put it together on the House Ethics Committee. And I'm sure folks have heard all about the colorful details of Santos's life and what he spent the money on, including cosmetic Botox and designer clothing. I mean, honestly, some of this sounds like it could be straight out of reality TV. There are tons of juicy details, but this does have real serious political implications, right? Right. Republicans had to decide here whether Santos's conduct was grave enough to trump their political needs. I know I'm rehashing the basics, but House Republicans have a whisper-thin majority. And in spite of all of the distraction that Santos posed, he was a reliable conservative vote. So Republicans now just saw their majority shrink from four to three. And they were, of course, already having trouble coming to an agreement on stuff with Santos there. And now, well, it's even harder because three people is less of a cushion than four people. Mather. What's next, Eric, for Santos and his seat? His time in Congress has ended, but his legal troubles are obviously not over with. He has to go through that whole process. He could spend some time in the big house if things don't work out. So there's that to watch. But fr- from my perch here on the Hill, I'm watching the special election for Santos's seat. That will take place early next year. The party committees will pick the candidates. But he might well be replaced by a Democrat. Biden carried this district by 10 points. Or maybe he won't. I don't know. That's why they have elections. <laughs> so Long Islanders can sort this out over slices of good New York pizza. <laughs> NPR congressional reporter Eric McDaniel. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Juana. A Chuck E. Cheese in Northridge, California, will be the last remaining stronghold for the chain's signature animatronics. NPR's Emma Bowman visited the pizza arcade for nostalgia's sake. I went to Chuck E. Cheese on a Saturday at peak birthday party time for kids, but the parents who brought them came for the giant mechanical puppets. That's right here. Kyle Cooper was there with his three-year-old daughter. This is her first time, yeah, and I heard that this is the last place with the animatronics. I took my daughter here specifically to see the animatronics, because that's what I grew up with. He's talking about those slow-blinking, fuzzy robots on stage, a cast of singing characters known as Munch's Make-Believe Band. They've been a fixture of the kids' play place since Chuck E. Cheese opened in 1977. It was exactly how I remembered it, if only I could hear it. They're just kind of flapping around up there without much sound. On the wall opposite the animatronics stage, a giant video screen has stolen kids' attention. So has the new interactive dance floor. Tahiti Malone came with her grandkids. She's bummed that the sound of the new technology is drowning out the old. Nobody's paying attention. Nobody's really looking. The company is revamping the franchise to appeal to a new digital generation. By the end of next year, the animatronics will have moved out of the chain's more than 400 locations. All but one. Here in Northridge, northwest of Hollywood, they'll have a permanent residency. So you got to leave something behind. Everything does not have to be on a big screen. But Malone's friend Gigi Boyaja is on board with Chuck E. Cheese 2.0. I love it because it's today's world, so my daughter could relate to this. The whole idea of Chuck E. Cheese was to make it a place where the kids would be king. That's Chuck E. Cheese's founder, Nolan Bushnell. Bushnell co-founded the video game titan Atari. 
The pizza parlor concept was designed as a distribution method for Atari's hit video games like Pong and Centipede. But there weren't any family-friendly locations for kids under 12. You know, bowling alleys were a little bit rough. Bars, of course, no. But they didn't forget about the parents. Beer and wine has always been on the menu. And the animatronics, those were also for the adults. The robotic characters originally spoke in double entendres. I felt that the skits had to be somewhat sophisticated. Not so that it would leave the kids behind, but so that the jokes were something that would amuse parents. A restless innovator, Bushnell left the company in 1984. Still, he welcomes the changes. I've always wanted my products to be at the edge. And I think what they're doing now is keeping that ethos alive. Virginie Carré teaches international business and marketing at Eckerd College. She says reinvention has been key to Chuck E. Cheese's success. Animatronics, you know, looked a little dated, let's be honest. And I don't think that uh, nostalgia marketing would appeal to the new generation of kids. But for the inner children of the generations that loved Munch's make-believe band, they'll be playing right here in Northridge seven days a week. Emma Bowman, NPR News. You're listening to All Things Considered from NPR News. WBUR supporters include the Boston Foundation. Knowing that bringing people together is the best way to advance opportunity and equity in our city, the Boston Foundation is a convener, a research hub, and a civic leader. The Boston Foundation. Move equity. Move Boston. Learn more at tbf.org. This is 90.9 WBUR. Coming up in about the next 20 minutes on WBUR, the planet is on track for less warming now than it was when the Paris Climate Agreement was signed in 2015, but it's still not enough to avoid catastrophic impacts. That story and Massachusetts' first-ever report card on its climate progress coming up on WBUR. Stocks on this first day of December built on the November gains. Today, the Dow rose more than eight-tenths of a percent. S&P rose six-tenths of a percent to finish at its highest close of the year, and the Nasdaq grew by more than a half percent. Sporadic showers likely overnight tonight, down to about 40 degrees for a low. And then we should have a good and gray weekend. The good is the temperatures should reach the mid-50s again tomorrow, could reach about 50 degrees on Sunday, clouds lingering through Monday. This is WBUR. It's 524. WBUR supporters include Sincere Foundation, which supports organizations that provide food security, housing stability, and safe spaces and envisions a future where everyone has the opportunity to celebrate, recognize milestones, and honor memories. Sincere Foundation. Learn more and see if your program qualifies at Sincere.com. Truth, independence, fairness, transparency, respect, excellence, NPR. Donate. Thanks. This is the time to donate because here's what your contributions make possible. What you're hearing right now on WBUR, what you read at WBUR.org, the podcast, the common circle round endless thread, our city space events, our uber popular newsletters, the field guide to Boston, Cognoscenti, our ideas and, and uh, opinion page. All of this is what you get from WBUR because of what you've put into it in the past. So please do it again. 
a special incentive. On top of all of that, a special incentive to do it right now. I'm Lisa Mullins with Magna Trucker Party. And that special incentive is if you call or go online to contribute to WBUR, you are automatically entered into this terrific sweepstakes that we have. It's uh, essentially your dream vacation very much so coming true, where you get to go anywhere around the world of, of des- to a destination of your choice. It's an overall uh, trip worth about $10,000. But in order to take part in this sweepstakes, you've got to call 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And you got to do it before 7 o'clock, which means if you call now, you get a chance to think about what your favorite place to have a vacation might be. I'm Kayla from Burlington, New Jersey, and I would say that the spot on top of my vacation bucket list right now is Rio de Janeiro. Hi, this is Casey from Somerville. My number one bucket list destination is Australia. I would love to go there because my parents lived there when they were in their 20s, and I'd love to just walk in their footsteps and see the sights that they saw and see the old apartment that they lived in, just get to experience all the animals and the nature and the culture that is in Australia. You know, Magda, one of the great things about this is that through the sweepstakes, we have a chance to let people knock something off their bucket list and at the same time off their to-do list. Because if you've been thinking about all the things you've been wanting to do for this past week, here's a chance to do it right now. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. You only have about another hour and a half in which to get your name in to win these sweepstakes. Yes, and that means that before 90 minutes elapses, call one 800 or go to WBUR.org. And and remember, this isn't just about entering the sweepstakes, although that is definitely uh, a way to sweeten the deal here. What you're also doing is you're keeping programs like All Things Considered, hosted here locally by Lisa, and then of course nationally by the All Things Considered team in Washington, D.C. And This is a sign of our continued, the decades-long commitment to bring you the best and most important news no matter the time of day, Uh, which is more, it's more urgent now than ever because news is uh, happening and being reported from around the world. So support Lisa's work here, support our local newsroom's work here, uh, keeping you informed throughout the afternoon and evening, and you can do that by calling 1-800-909-9287 or hopping over to WBUR.org. And remember that you get back everything that you put into WBUR. And right now, there are so many people who are working on stories that are going to be airing in the next couple of days. And Magna, one thing that I realized, you know, we talk a lot in the fund drives about wanting to be fortified so we have enough money to cover anything Mm -hmm. that happens in the next year. Of course, there are elections and we're already putting away money for that because we know that it's going to be costly. Um, When we had our last fund drive, it ended two days before the Hamas invasion Mm. of Israel, the attack on Israel. We had no idea, and of course NPR had no idea that that was going to be happening, but it has cost a substantial amount of money because NPR sent dozens of reporters there, and that means they had to have flak jackets and helmets and all kinds of safety gear along with so much else. Producers had to be hired, fixers, drivers, etc. So that's an expense that nobody expected, but we have to plan for anyway. So Please, because you listen, because you appreciate this kind of coverage that we get, no matter what the issue is, 
make a phone call, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. You know, Lisa, I remember uh, actually not that long ago, Mary Louise Kelly told me a story about the uh, essentially the emergency and um, uh, c- catastrophe training, the war zone training that uh, reporters have to have in order to keep themselves uh, safe and knowledgeable about what to do uh, in very, very tense and dangerous situations. Also something that, you know, does not come free. But what it helps to do is to keep not only the reporters safe, but it helps to helps you because that means they are able to bring you the news from even the toughest locations in the world. So that is what your money is going to. That's why it's so important. And that's why I'd hope you call 1-800-909-9287. And NPR is doing it when fewer other networks are doing it. So please help us out. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. WBUR supporters include Cambridge School of Culinary Arts in Porter Square, with cooking and baking workshops, technique and regional cuisine series, and cooking couples classes. CambridgeCulinary.com. Live from NPR News in Culver City, California, I'm Dwayne Brown. Israeli airstrikes hit houses and buildings in the Gaza Strip today after a week-long ceasefire between Israel and Hamas came to an abrupt end. Israel says more than 136 hostages remain in Gaza, including women and children. Israel and Hamas have traded blame for ending the temporary truce, while negotiators in Qatar are working to restart the ceasefire along with U.S. officials. Here's White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. We want to see it restored at the level at which it had risen to during the pause. As you know, we got several hundred trucks in, sometimes you know a couple of hundred uh, a day during the pause. Uh, that's the level we want to see us get back to uh, as soon as possible. So far, Hamas has released 105 of the roughly 240 hostages that were taken in its deadly attack on Israel October 7th while Israel has freed 240 Palestinian prisoners and detainees. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is calling on the head of the state's Republican Party to step down after a report of sexual assault from member station WUSF. Carrie Sheridan reports. Sarasota police are investigating GOP chair Christian Ziegler. According to the Florida Center for Government Accountability, which broke the story, the complaint came from a woman who had been in a consensual sexual relationship with Ziegler and his wife Bridget, who co-founded the conservative group Moms for Liberty. Governor DeSantis described the report as serious. I think he should step aside. I think he should tend to that. He's innocent until proven guilty, but we just can't have a party chair that is under that type of scrutiny. No charges have been filed. A heavily redacted police report showed few details. A lawyer tells media outlets Ziegler is cooperating with the police investigation and is confident he will be exonerated once it's concluded. You're listening to NPR News. And this is 90.9 WBUR. I'm Lisa Mullins. On Beacon Hill for the second straight day today, House Republicans blocked a final vote on the nearly $3 billion supplemental budget. Advocates for migrants and unhoused families are urging Massachusetts Republicans to drop their opposition. 
The budget includes about $250 million to fund the state's overburdened shelter system and create an overflow emergency shelter. Republicans say the state shouldn't fund the shelter system without policy reforms to slow the travel of migrants to Massachusetts. The House will reconvene tomorrow in a rare Saturday session to take up the measure once again. More now on the death of retired U.S. Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. Former Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court Chief Justice Margaret Marshall calls O'Connor a role model. Marshall says she was delighted when O'Connor became the first woman appointed to the nation's highest court. Justice O'Connor's legacy rests on the most important points that informed her life, her deep commitment, profound commitment, to making democracy work in the United States. Marshall says on a personal note, O'Connor had a wonderful sense of humor and a way of making people feel at ease. Over 100 students walked out of Boston Latin School this afternoon in protest of Hamas of Israel's war with Hamas. As WBR's Max Larkin reports, students also criticized their teachers and administrators. After their walkout, the students gathered for a small rally in a nearby park. They argued that Arab and Muslim student groups at the school have been discouraged from raising money for Palestinian civilians or even using a planned Human Rights Day to discuss the crisis. Senior Crystal Gentle read a poem called That is Palestine over a megaphone. The words had come to her just in time. Literally yesterday. When when you're passionate about something, it really just, just comes to you. You don't really have to waste too much time. The school district says it is working to ensure that all of its students feel heard and supported. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Max Larkin. The forecast is coming up. WBUR supporters include Liz Linder Photography, creating portraits and stories for life and work. Pictures talk at lizlinder.com. And the Lyric Stage with Ken Ludwig's The Game's Afoot. This comedy mystery makes a memorable multi-generational holiday outing through December 17th, lyricstage.com. Clouds and some off-and-on showers this evening into tonight. Another mildish night should only be about 42 degrees. Weekend should be unseasonably warm, 54 degrees tomorrow, about 50 on Sunday. Gray skies both days with drizzle tomorrow, but a greater chance of rain on Sunday. This is WBUR. It's 535. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Organic Valley, a farmer-owned cooperative dedicated to providing ethically sourced food from small organic family farms across the country. Learn more at ov.coop slash ethically sourced. And from Procter & Gamble, maker of Nervive Nerve Relief. Nervive is designed to reduce occasional nerve aches, weakness, and discomfort in hands or feet due to aging. Learn more at nervivehealth.com. This is NPR. From NPR News, this is All Things Considered. I'm Juana Summers. And I'm Mary Louise Kelly. We're remembering Sandra Day O'Connor, who died today at the age of 93. She was the first female justice on the Supreme Court, appointed by President Reagan back in 1981. She served more than 24 years, and it was in 2006, the year she retired, that Justin Driver came to work for her. He is her former clerk. He is now a law professor at Yale, and he joins me now. Welcome. Thanks for having me. What do you remember about the first time you met her? So I remember interviewing with Justice O'Connor to become her law clerk and being, of course, a little nervous before heading in for the interview and 
as soon as I met her, she was an incredibly warm and engaging person. And we had a wonderful conversation and uh, she was very much put me at ease. I, I mean, everybody graduating from law school, I imagine, fantasizes about clerking for a Supreme Court justice. Did you want to work for her specifically? I felt particularly honored to clerk for Justice O'Connor. She was very hesitant to have decisions that overturned precedents. She thought of the law as being an incremental and stabilizing force in American society. Mm -hmm. And her vision of the law is one that aligned with my own. I want to ask about affirmative action because she wrote the decision for the court in 2003 that validated affirmative action. This was the case involving the University of Michigan Law School. And she, in that decision, emphasized the importance of racial diversity at elite academic institutions. She also wrote, uh, and there's a line that has been much cited since, we expect that 25 years from now, the use of racial preferences will no longer be necessary. You clerked for her just a few years after that. How do you believe she was wrestling with this? Um, you know, Justice O'Connor was uh, an incredibly practical justice. So she was deeply understood that in order for the nation to be able to function, ours is a multiracial democracy, that we need to have uh, meaningful numbers of black and brown students at elite academic institutions. So I view the Grutter decision as being sort of emblematic of her approach to the law, which was a practical approach. And I think that that was a decision that stood the nation in good stead. In the years since she left the court, the court has gone in, in a very different direction than the one she took, uh, whether it comes to affirmative action or abortion, another issue in which her rulings were decisive. In light of that, how do you think about her legacy? What will it be? Uh, Justice O'Connor has an enduring legacy, and it comes from her constitutional vision, which is paying great attention to precedent, an incremental approach to the law. Her greatness lies in the sort of subtlety of the approach that she used, rather than having some sort of grand overarching ideology that she was imposing in every opinion along the way. Instead, uh, she was seeing decisions from the bottom up, and that is an appealing uh, constitutional vision. And even if it's not ascendant in all legal circles right now, I believe that future lawyers will appreciate her approach to judging. I don't know when the last time you saw her was, but you must have stayed in touch because I am told she officiated at your wedding. Yeah, she was an incredibly special person in my life, and she was kind enough to officiate at my wedding in 2008, and uh, she was committed to all of her law clerks. She really did view us as extensions of her family, and we did uh, remain in touch. Uh, she was just a warm person, you know, an engaging person, and you know, she had uh, a twinkle in her eye. Did you get a chance to thank her, like really thank her, tell her what you're telling us now? Yes, I did. Um, after I clerked for her, 
I saw her in Arizona uh, a few years back and talked about uh, what an incredible difference she made in my life. That is Justice O'Connor's former clerk and current professor of law at Yale, Justin Driver. Thank you. Thank you very much. Climate negotiations are underway in Dubai. World leaders are there to assess their progress limiting global warming based on the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement. Sultan al-Jaber is leading this year's talks. Since Paris, we have made some progress. But we also know that the road we have been on will not get us to our destination in time. Rebecca Hersher from NPR's Climate Desk is here with more on that progress and the hard road ahead. Hi there. Hi. Okay, so we just heard Sultan al-Jaber say we've made progress since the Paris Agreement was signed back in 2015, but it feels like things are pretty dire. This has been the hottest year ever recorded. Yeah, they are dire, but they used to be more dire. When the Paris Agreement was signed in 2015, the planet was headed for 4 to 5 degrees Celsius of warming. That's compared to temperatures in the late 1800s. Now, the best guess is 2.5 to 3 degrees Celsius of warming. So that's a significant improvement. We've cut projected warming almost in half. Okay, so I'm hearing you say it's still not good, but it could be worse. What's making the difference? You know, a lot of it is more renewable energy, like solar and wind. Those have gotten a lot cheaper. And that helps, right, because it means that there is less carbon dioxide being pumped into the atmosphere than there would have been if we used the same energy sources that we did a decade ago. Now, it's really important to say we are not burning less fossil fuels overall as a planet. We're burning more. But we're burning less relative to the economic growth that's happening. So if you imagine that greenhouse gas emissions were going up really steeply in the past, now that line is less steep. It's still going up, but we're on a better trajectory. Help us put this into some perspective. What does this actually mean for everyday life? Because I have to say, it does not really feel like we're in better shape climate-wise. I mean, there are huge disasters happening incredibly frequently. Temperature records are falling. Yeah, right. So even though we're on a better trajectory now than we were, say, a decade ago, we're still causing massive, rapid global warming. And we're suffering the consequences, like you said, like giant, rapidly intensifying hurricanes, like the one that hit Mexico this fall are happening, extreme rain that causes deadly floods every single year that's killing people, dangerous heat waves. So there's some dissonance, right? Humanity has successfully avoided some future warming, and that's good. It saves lives, but it's not enough. It doesn't save us from the impacts of our current amount of warming, which is already pretty devastating. And Rebecca, how does this play into the climate negotiations that are happening in Dubai now? You know, it's front and center. These facts are the foundation for everything that's being discussed. Because under the Paris Agreement, this year, world leaders are required to look back and assess the progress that's been made and to get ready to make some new promises that hopefully will protect even more lives in the future. Rebecca Hersher from NPR's Climate Desk. Thank you. Thanks. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Johnson & Wales, committed to going beyond the classroom by helping students develop networks and experience in fields like healthcare, business, and cybersecurity. 
and Xfinity Internet with the Xfinity 10G network so everyone at home can be online, even at peak hours. Xfinity from Comcast. The future starts now. Supporting WBUR is about the good we do when we band together with a common goal. It's about making a modest contribution to create stories and conversations that make your world bigger. Hi, it's Robin Young. Give $10 or $15 a month an ongoing contribution, which will help sustain WBUR for everyone who listens. Please give now at WBUR.org. Let's say you haven't given before, you're not sure where to start. If you can be a monthly uh, giver, then start off with a $10 a month gift or maybe a $15 a month gift. If you can swing $50 a month, that would be fantastic. And just remember, when you do that, when you become a monthly sustainer, you are sustaining us through the difficult times, uh, such as during the pandemic, when our budget was uncertain and the future was uncertain in terms of what we could afford, whether we could afford to grow. And perhaps it was uncertain for you as well. So also remember that when you give on a monthly basis, you can change the amount you want to give at any time at all with no hassle. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. If you can make a one-time gift right now, we would appreciate it as well. And there is a special reason to do it right now. That's right. Either way, whether it be a sustainer gift or a one-time gift, whatever works for you works for us. And in addition to that, you get automatically entered into this terrific sweepstakes we have for a trip of your choice to anywhere in the world valued at $10,000. You get to choose the dream vacation of your choice. The only stipulation we have here about this sweepstakes is that you have to enter before 7 p.m. tonight. That means you've got an hour and 15 minutes to make that call to 1-800-909-9287. And uh, if you do it now, then you just get a lot of time to think about where it is you might go if you win that sweepstakes. You can't win if you don't call in 1-800-909-9287. Where would you like to go on a $10,000 vacation? Maybe a river cruise on the Danube or uh, a train ride across uh, Canada from east to west, or maybe you'd like to go to Machu Picchu. Just tell us where it is. Magna has an interesting choice. Well, first I'll say changed yes to all of the above yes. that you just listed. But right. no, I, I think right now... I would love to have the opportunity to go visit uh, Rwanda and um, see those uh, mountain gorillas before it's too late. Now, you know, it, this wouldn't just be like a stroll, right? You have to make preparations. You have to um, be sure all the permits are, are ready. But you, but if you win the sweepstakes and you want a vacation like that, you'll get assistance in uh, tra- in planning those excursions as well. So really, this is a terrific opportunity. Again, the only hitch is that you've got to call and or go to WBOR.org to enter, and you got to do it before 7 o'clock. So here's the number one more time. It is 1-800-909-9287. 1-800-909-9287. Please make the phone call right now. 
uh, because this offer is over at 7 o'clock tonight. It's not coming back during this fun drive at all. So this is the time to do it. And also, you know, there might be something that you can knock off your bucket list if you decide that, uh, that well, when you win, if you win, but when you win the sweepstakes, <laughs> you can also knock something off your to-do list right now for the end of the week. What a great way to start the weekend, knowing that you've supported the radio station that brings so much to your life, so much information that you've already heard today just on All Things Considered alone. That's not even talking about On Point. What did you speak about today, uh, Non Point Well, actually, we did a really interesting hour about the layoffs that have been happening happening across the video game industry. So, Which used think, to be the go-to industry. Yeah, you might think, really, video games, why would we care? Well, three billion people around the world regularly play video games, and the industry is larger than Hollywood and North American sports combined. So when big changes are happening there, uh, even though you may not know an industry like that very well, you get to learn it about he, about it through programs like On Point at WBUR. So please do call 1-800-909-9287. And Lisa, earlier this afternoon, you yes. said, uh, you know, the chance of uh, winning the sweepstakes is way higher, right? Than... It's higher than if you buy a lottery <laughs> ticket, don't you I, think? I, well, yeah, because some of the lotteries are like, you know, you have one in 100 million chance to win. Well, I can guarantee your, your odds are better here. And just think. Like, people buy lottery tickets. You might have bought a lottery ticket. Maybe that money could go to WBUR to help bring you guaranteed news and information uh, for you and your community. So 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. That's right. Think of where, um, uh, how many, if you buy lottery tickets, how much money you spend them in the course of a, a month and how much you get back for having spent if you didn't win. Well, you get a lot more back from WBUR when you make a contribution to this station because you know where it's going. It's coming right back at you through what you hear on WBUR and what you read at WBUR.org. When you listen to Cognoscenti, listen to our podcast, Circle Round, Endless Thread, The Common, 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Pledge whatever you can afford, and we so appreciate it. Sweepstakes end in an hour and 10 minutes, so get your name in now. Thank you. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Indeed, designed to be an end-to-end hiring solution for businesses of all sizes to attract, interview, and hire candidates, all from one platform. Learn more at Indeed.com NPR. And from BetterHelp, committed to supporting mental health through therapy. Clients are matched with one of 25,000 therapists and can communicate via video, chat, or phone at BetterHelp.com public. This is NPR. This is WBUR. Today, the Healy administration published the state's first ever report card on its climate progress. It finds that while Massachusetts is likely on track to meet its 2025 emissions reductions goals, meaning its longer-term goals is far from certain. As WBUR's Miriam Wasser reports, the state has made a lot of progress slashing emissions, but ramping up to where it needs to get won't be easy or cheap. Massachusetts is mandated by state law to zero out planet warming emissions by mid-century. Meeting that goal means doing several things at once. We need to power our cars and heat our buildings with renewable electricity. We need to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels. And we need to conserve forests and other natural lands so they can store more carbon dioxide. Catherine Antos is the state's undersecretary of decarbonization and resilience. She says the report card shows that the state is doing all of those things, but we need to begin rapidly slashing emissions in the next five or so years. 
we are at a period where we are entering the hardest part of meeting our climate goals. And so that is why we are both on track, but also we know that interventions are needed. Consider the number of electric heat pumps installed. The state is off to a slow start, having accomplished less than a third of its 2025 goal. But the report is optimistic, noting the pace of installations has picked up in the last year and a half. The use of electric vehicles is also increasing, though the severe shortage of publicly available charging stations remains a formidable obstacle. When it comes to bringing more renewables on the grid, the state looks like it will achieve its 2025 goals. But after that, the picture is less clear, says Jeremy McDermott. He's with Advanced Energy United, a clean energy trade association group. I am cautiously optimistic, but things need to change and big things need to happen over the next five years. McDermott said there are some things the state can do, like more quickly approve new infrastructure. But in many ways, the energy future depends on global economic forces. Importantly, the report acknowledges that just focusing on reducing emissions is not enough. A holistic approach to the climate crisis requires planning for extreme weather and making sure vulnerable populations aren't left behind. Julie Wormser works on regional resilience projects with the Mystic River Watershed Association. She says she's heartened to see the state consider equity, but adds that the report card falls short. It doesn't have any measurable goals and benchmarks for environmental justice. What we measure really affects who we're helping. The state's Catherine Antos acknowledges this glaring shortfall, but says people are working on developing these metrics for next year's report card. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Miriam Wasser. WBUR supporters include Merrimack Repertory Theater with A Christmas Carol, a new adaptation highlighting Charles Dickens' time in Lowell. Now through December 24th, tickets at MRT.org. Climate change dominated the headlines this year. Wildfires stoked by Hurricane Dora spread across the island of Maui. A dangerously large plume of moisture known as an atmospheric river slams into the region. But there were also stories of hope. This hotline helps people figure out how to save important objects and buildings after disasters. Invest in the future of climate change coverage on NPR and this station. Here's how. It's easy. Go to WBUR.org and pledge online or call us at 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org and pledge forward the expertise that you get from fantastic reporters like Miriam Wasser, so committed to covering the environment. And in this case, she's kicking the tires on the state's first ever report card on its progress in reducing emissions. That's just one of the many things that you pay for when you um, uh, make your donation to WBUR. And we hope you will right now. Here's the number again, 1-800-909-9287, or if you prefer, pledge at WBUR.org. We hope you will right now because in one hour and five minutes, you will no longer have a chance to win a fantastic sweepstake opportunity. That's that's right. And that's the other reason why we hope you call before 7 o'clock because that... Excuse me, but tonight is not my night. How can you even stand having You're me in here in the great. studio? What? <laughs> um, well, I mean, maybe it's just because I get like so worked up about uh, wanting as many people to call in as possible. But we again, like as Lisa said, you have an hour and five minutes left because at seven o'clock we end the opportunity to get entered into this sweepstakes for a dream vacation to your choice of destination anywhere in the world but you got to call 1-800-909-9287 before that happens now 
I know that at this point in a fundraiser, sometimes when we say the word sweepstakes or this, that, and the other, we can start sounding to you like Charlie Brown's teacher, right? Like, (laughs) sweepstakes. I get it. Maybe you think it's not real or you'll never win it, but you would be wrong because it is real. Real people win. Real people. Just listen to Carol and Mark. They're from Brockton, and they won one of our previous sweepstakes. It was a Subaru Forester, and Carol told us just in the most beautiful way, how she and Mark had learned that they had won the sweepstakes when they first heard from Julie on our membership team. We came home to a a message on the machine and sort of looked at one another and said, oh, this has got to be a scam. Julie had sent a matching email, so then Mark checked out on different things to be sure that she was telling us the truth. When we got in the Forester, it was like, Oh, this is it. it. This is a beautiful car. We're regular donors to WBUR because we listen and we enjoy the station. So we just, how many times a year, make a donation? That was one of the questions when Mark said to me, did you enter this contest? And I had to admit, I said, I don't know, because I was donating regularly, not donating for the contest. And thanks to Cityside and you guys for getting us a new car. <laughs> that is the best. Uh, thank you. And we'll talk I hope about she doesn't even know how often their their sustaining membership gets the donation. Yeah, comes exactly. Through. So she could have started that <laughs> monthly subscription like you know five years before that, it's and then just suddenly a part of a their forester. lives, a regular part of their lives. Yeah, and it's just fantastic. And we love the idea of picturing the two of them in the Forester and thanking WBUR for that. Uh, you know this the sweepstakes that we have now. It's not for a, a Subaru Forester, but it is for a trip anywhere in the world that you want to go. $10,000 is what it's worth. So just decide, do you want to take a train? Do you want to take a cruise? Do you want to go down the Danube? Do you want to uh, go as Magna does uh, to Rwanda and um, see the gorillas there? So many people, so many listeners want to go to a national park, wherever it might be, Denali, um, whatever you have in mind. Make your pledge right now to WBUR. When you call in, you will automatically be entered in to win the sweepstakes. Only one hour and two minutes left to do that because the offer is over at 7 o'clock. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. Denali would be amazing to go to. St. John also a national park on the island of St. John. Yes. Yeah. I've been there. It's uh, great. You have? Yeah, it's wonderful. Okay, so I'm going to cross that off the list of the places Lisa wants to go if she had <laughs> won this, this sweepstakes. I still have this goal. My goal ends at 7 o'clock, and it's a dual goal. One is to get you to call because that's when the sweepstakes uh, entry period ends, and the second goal is to get Lisa to tell us where her bucket list place is. <laughs> I think you're is. the only one who wants to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like dogged. WBR reporters are dogged. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. And again, it gets you entered automatically into this fantastic sweepstakes. More importantly, it helps you support keeping WBUR a strong and independent source for news and information that can really make a difference not only in your world, but in the world of our collective community of listeners. So 800-909-9287. We know it makes a difference broadly. What kind of a difference does WBUR make to your life? Whether it might be that you go online, get the newsletter, listen to a podcast, attend event at City Space, listen to On Point with Magna Charcobardi. WBUR.org. Support for NPR comes from this station. 
And from the FDA, its Remove the Risk campaign encourages people to dispose of the unused, unwanted, and expired opioid medications in their homes. Learn more at fda.gov slash remove the risk. From the Kauffman Foundation, providing access to opportunities that help people achieve financial stability, upward mobility, and economic prosperity, regardless of race, gender, or geography. Kauffman.org. From the Center for Audit Quality, committed to enhancing public trust in the economy through assurance. Auditors are serving investors, small businesses, and working Americans. Learn more at thecaq.org. And from the listeners who support this NPR station. I'm Weekend Edition host Sharon Brody, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. You can listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Jack Spear. The White House says Israel will allow humanitarian aid trucks to re-enter Gaza. But NPR's Franco Ordonez reports the number of deliveries will be reduced. White House spokesman John Kirby said Israel has agreed to resume allowing truck deliveries through at the urging of the United States. They've certainly said they're going to reduce that, but uh, but it looks like it looks like we're going to be able to uh, looks like we're going to be able to resume it, probably in, in terms of dozens of trucks versus hundreds of trucks. He called it a good sign, but added that U.S. officials, including Secretary of State Antony Blinken, are pressing the Israelis to restore the amount of aid being delivered to the levels happening during the temporary ceasefire. During the pause in fighting, about 200 aid trucks a day had been entering Gaza. Humanitarian groups say much more is needed. Franco Ordonez. NPR News. Attending the COP28 climate summit in Dubai, Vice President Kamala Harris is expected to face a number of challenges. That includes trying to demonstrate U.S. environmental leadership under President Joe Biden. The vice president will also meet with regional leaders to try to push forward efforts to shape the next phase of the Israel-Hamas war. Harris will only have a small window to carry out her goals. President Biden will not be attending the gathering. Ukraine's parliament appeared to signal it supports postponing elections due to be held next year until after the war ends. NPR's Joanna Kakissis reports from Kyiv there are concerns about security as Russian forces continue to attack Ukrainian cities. Ukrainian lawmakers signed a statement supporting, in principle, the postponement of elections until after the lifting of martial law, which won't come until the war ends. Presidential and parliamentary elections were due to be held in March 2024. And in an interview with NPR in September, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said he could support a vote if the logistics were worked out, but he changed his mind after Ukrainians strongly opposed the idea, saying elections would distract from winning back land now occupied by Russia. In an interview on Friday with the Associated Press, Zelensky also said that a counteroffensive launched in spring had, quote, not achieved desired results. Joanna Kakissis, NPR News, Kiev. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell did not declare victory in the war on inflation today, but neither did he indicate that any more hikes in short-term interest rates are imminent. Speaking at Spelman College in Atlanta, Powell said inflation is slowing, pointing to a rise in consumer prices outside food and energy of just 2.5% over the past 
six months. Stocks closed broadly higher in part on Powell's comments today. The Dow gained 294 points. Down the session at 36,245. The Nasdaq rose 78 points. You're listening to NPR. This is 90.9 WBUR in Boston. Good evening. I'm Lisa Mullins. The Massachusetts House today failed again to pass a supplemental budget. For a second straight day, Republicans blocked a vote on the bill, which contains funding for the state's overcrowded shelter system. GOP lawmakers want more say on how that money is spent. The House will try again tomorrow to push the measure through. New England's shrimp industry will be in a moratorium indefinitely. In its vote today, the Atlantic State's Marine Fisheries Commission stopped short of calling the move a permanent moratorium. Shrimp have been off limits to fishermen since 2013. Warming waters have affected the cold water shrimp. City of Boston has reached a five-year contract agreement with its largest police union. The Boston Police Patrolmen's Association has been without a contract since 2020. The deal still needs to be ratified by a majority of its members. 50 degrees, temperatures are heading downward and should reach about 42 overnight tonight, a cloudy, drizzling night. And then clouds spend the weekend, off and on drizzle tomorrow, back up in the mid-50s. Then for Sunday, overcast with plenty of rain likely, right about 50 degrees. This is WBUR at 6.05. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Public Welfare Foundation, committed to advancing a transformative approach to justice that is community-led, restorative, and racially just. Learn more at publicwelfare.org. I'm Tiziana Deering. Local journalism has disappeared from communities across America. Research from Harvard shows the erosion of local journalism has contributed to the deterioration of civic engagement in affected communities. Boston is fortunate to have robust local journalism, but we can't take it for granted. Start a monthly contribution to WBUR to keep our local journalism strong. Give at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And maybe you're a newcomer to WBUR. If you are, welcome. We love having you here. Um, and we one thing that Tiziana was mentioning there with the collapse of local journalism, journalism. One of the things is that they don't have advertising dollars, and that's one of the things that bolstered them in the past. We've never had advertising dollars. We don't rely on commercial advertising of any kind. We rely on, for the vast majority of our operating budget, you, our listeners, to donate whatever you can in whatever amount WBR is worth to you. Please do it right now because we have an added incentive for you to call one 800 909 9287 or go to WBUR.org. I'm Lisa Mullins with Meghna Chakrabarty, who's going to spill the beans. Well, that added incentive, by the way, has a clock ticking on it. I'll tell you what the incentive is. But first, you need to know you only have 53 minutes in which to act. And what you would be acting on is by calling 1-800-909-9287 or going to WBUR.org and contributing that way. You will automatically be entered into this sweepstakes we have for a uh, vacation to a location of your choice valued at uh, up to $10,000 and not just a domestic location. It could be anywhere in the world. So I bet you you've got some places in mind. Here are some places which uh, your fellow listeners think they would uh, love to see. My name is Terry. I'm from Worcester. The number one place on my bucket list is Lebanon because my grandparents came from there. I'm Debbie from Needham, and I've always wanted to visit Alaska in order to see the natural beauty of Denali National Park. My name is Caroline from Cambridge, and the number one place on my bucket list is Egypt, and I've always wanted to go because of the pyramids, 
ruins and the incredible history and culture that there is to see there. So many ideas, so many places to go, and so many people out there listening right now who have yet to call in. So the first thing to do is call 1-800-909-9287 and go to WBUR.org, and you will automatically be entered in to win the sweepstakes, your trip for worth $10,000 to anywhere in the world. And we hope at the same time you'll make a good pledge to WBUR, whatever you can afford. If you can make a monthly pledge, we would so appreciate that. Maybe $15 a month, maybe $50 a month if you can do that, or a one-time pledge. There are many people out there, it's almost embarrassing to ask, but there are lots of people who can afford $1,000 a year, $5,000 a year, or even more. It has indeed happened, but mostly we want you to just give what you can afford. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Okay, Lisa, I haven't given up. Asia, is that where you want to go? Australia, Europe, Russia, Africa. I'm getting further away from Asia. Stop. Back to the point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she is dog. Well, I mean, this is a wonderful. uh, Actually, the the reason why I keep pressing um, Lisa is because the world is full of so many amazing places that uh, you know. I'm trying to get inspired by what uh, one of my one of my favorite and and uh, and most intelligent colleagues might say. She wants where she wants to visit. I think you have plenty of ideas on your own. I don't think you're you're not running short. Well, I'm going to change mine. Um, Actually, I if I if I were able to enter the sweepstakes and I won, um, I would love to go visit the location in. I guess now Bangladesh, where the villages that my dad was born and grew oh, up in. Oh, how great. It happens to be on the banks of the Meghna River, which is oh why I'm named gosh. what I'm named. So I would love to do that, um, especially since my father passed away last year. Oh. Love you, Dad. Oh. But that's not for that's not for me to realize right now. I'll do that on my own. But if there's, like, you know, when Terry said he wants to go to Lebanon because of his grandparents yeah. being from there, there might be a place that means something to you for that kind of reason, for a family connection, because, you know, we all come from somewhere well, this could be your opportunity to uh, to to realize that dream if you win this sweepstakes. But again, the thing you got to do, you have to enter within the next 50 minutes, but you are automatically entered if you call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. Just want to give a shout out here to something, uh, one thing that many people um, really enjoy on WBUR, and that's our ideas and opinion page, Cognoscenti a place where you can go to read some personal commentary, in some cases deeply personal, take the one breathtaking one by our colleague uh, Kate Neal Cooper today. Go to wbur.org slash cognoscenti. These are from writers who are professional writers or writers who have never written anything for publication. We work with you. You just have to have something to say and something that helps the readers feel connected with with each other. That's on Cognoscenti. Whatever you appreciate about WBUR, it could be uh, Morning Edition, Fresh Air, All Things Considered, Radio Boston, On Point, Um, any of these things, make a pledge for it right now. Tell us what it's worth to you. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Only about 46 minutes to go to enter the sweepstakes. Call now. WBUR supporters include Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts, Medicare plans for every lifestyle and budget. Visit bluecrossma.com slash go. 
This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. And I'm Juana Summers. Retired Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor died today at the age of 93. She was the first woman to serve as a justice on the Supreme Court, and her tenure lasted a quarter of a century on the nation's highest court. After her retirement, she became an outspoken critic of what she viewed as modern threats to judicial independence. NPR legal affairs correspondent Nina Totenberg has this remembrance. During her tenure on the Supreme Court, Sandra Day O'Connor was called the most powerful woman in America because of her position at the center of a court that was so closely divided on so many major questions, she often cast the deciding vote in cases involving abortion, affirmative action, national security, campaign finance reform, separation of church and state, states' rights, and of course, in the case that decided the 2000 election, Bush versus Gore. Her retirement allowed President Bush to appoint a far more conservative justice in her place, and that appointment tilted the court in a decidedly more conservative direction. O'Connor's retirement was the last step in a career that often had to balance family and career. In 2005, O'Connor's husband was suffering from Alzheimer's disease, and when the ailing Chief Justice, William Rehnquist, told her that he was putting off his retirement, O'Connor decided that with her husband's health declining, she could not wait and risk the possibility that the court would have two vacancies at once. As it turned out, that's what happened anyway. O'Connor announced her retirement, and the Chief Justice died weeks later. She stayed on for another six months while the confirmation hearings proceeded, and in a cruel twist of fate, her husband's health took such a precipitous downward turn that he had to be placed in a home. O'Connor wept on her last day on the bench, but she went on to lead a multifaceted life, most notably crisscrossing the United States, crusading against threats to judicial independence. Sandra Day O'Connor spent her early life riding horses and roping steers on the Lazy Bee, a 250-square-mile cattle ranch owned by her parents on the Arizona-New Mexico border. At age 10, she was sent away to school, and at age 16, she enrolled at Stanford, eventually graduating from law school third in her class. On the job market, she soon learned nobody seemed to want to hire a woman lawyer. After every job door was closed in her face, a desperate O'Connor finally made an offer to the San Mateo County attorney, an offer she hoped he would not be able to refuse. I wrote him a very long letter explaining all the reasons why I thought that I would be helpful to him in the office and offering to work for nothing if that was necessary. In the beginning, it was, but she soon was put on salary, and when she and her husband John moved to Arizona, she continued practicing law, stopping only when a dearth of babysitters forced a five-year hiatus to raise her three sons. Soon, she was a figure to be reckoned with in Arizona's political life. Elected to the state Senate, she quickly rose in Republican ranks to become the majority leader, then was appointed a state trial judge and a state appellate court judge. By then, it was 1981, and with the retirement of Justice Potter Stewart, President Reagan had a Supreme Court vacancy to fill. Stewart's imminent retirement was known to only a few inside the administration, and there was initially something of a battle over whether the president should fulfill his campaign promise to appoint a woman. Ken Starr, then an assistant to Attorney General William French Smith, recalls that staff aides examined Mr. Reagan's campaign words carefully, concluding he had not made an ironclad pledge, and some administration insiders urged the president to use this first appointment to name Robert Bork or some other conservative luminary to the high court. But that was not to be, says Starr. President Reagan 
uh, was not a word parser, and he felt that he had made a moral commitment to uh, a point. Uh, a, a qualified uh, woman to the Supreme Court, that it was long overdue, etc., and that's what our marching orders were. But back then, the list of qualified women with any conservative credentials at all was a short one. Starr believes that O'Connor's name was first suggested by then-Justice William Rehnquist, a fellow Arizonan and a classmate of O'Connor's at Stanford. She soon won the nod from President Reagan. So today, I'm pleased to announce that upon completion of all the necessary checks by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, I will send to the Senate the nomination of Judge Sandra Day O'Connor of Arizona Court of Appeals for confirmation as an Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. She is truly a person for all seasons. In Arizona, Judge O'Connor met the press. This is a momentous day in my life and the life of my family. And I'm extremely happy and honored uh, to have been nominated by President Reagan for a position on the United States Supreme Court. O'Connor acknowledged that her appointment was a, quote, affirmative act, that she was not among the most qualified judges or scholars back then. But she won quick confirmation, her only opposition coming from right-to-life groups suspicious that she would not vote to overrule Roe v. Wade. Those fears would eventually be realized, but it would take many years. Once on the court, O'Connor's main concern, she later said, was whether she could do the job. If I stumbled badly, she said, it would make life much more difficult for women. As it turned out, of course, O'Connor's appointment gave a huge boost to women in the law. The minute I was confirmed and on the court, states across the country started putting more women on than had ever been the case on their Supreme Courts. And it made a difference in the acceptance of young women as lawyers. It opened doors for them. In the years that followed, O'Connor's impact on the law would be enormous. On the court, she became part of a conservative states' rights majority, voting to strike down key portions of the Brady Gun Control Law and the Violence Against Women Act. And she wrote the court's opinion declaring that the federal age discrimination law was unconstitutional insofar as it applied to state employees seeking damages for discrimination. We conclude that in stripping the states of their sovereign immunity, Congress exceeded its constitutional authority. On the subject of racial discrimination and affirmative action, O'Connor was the key vote, writing many of the court's most important decisions. In the 1980s and 90s, she wrote landmark court decisions limiting the use of affirmative action for minority contractors. And she wrote the court's 1993 decision invalidating the use of race as the predominant factor in drawing majority black congressional districts. But in 2003, O'Connor wrote the court's opinion declaring for the first time that colleges and universities are justified in using race as a factor in college and graduate school admissions. Such diversity promotes learning and better prepares students for an increasingly heterogeneous workforce, for responsible citizenship, and for the legal profession. In each of the race cases, O'Connor followed a well-trodden path for her. Decide the case before you, make as few broad and sweeping rules as possible, and leave the door open for future change in a different set of circumstances. In 2004, she walked a similar careful line in the court's first enemy combatant case when she wrote the key opinion declaring that a state of war is not a blank check for the president, 
when it comes to the rights of the nation's citizens. Due process demands that a United States citizen held in the United States as an enemy combatant must be given a meaningful opportunity to contest the factual basis for that detention before a neutral decision-maker. In no area, though, was O'Connor more careful and successful at carving out a middle ground than on questions involving abortion. When she joined the court, a woman's right to an abortion was spelled out in Roe v. Wade as a relatively absolute right to privacy. But less than two years after joining the court, O'Connor dissented from a major extension of Roe, saying that, in her view, a state could regulate abortions unless those regulations imposed an undue burden on a woman's right to choose. Six years later, her separate concurring opinion in an abortion case allowed more state restrictions, but made it clear that she had deprived the court's four conservatives of a fifth vote to overrule Roe v. Wade. In 1992, the issue was back before the court, and O'Connor, joined this time by Justices Souter and Kennedy, voted to sustain what they called the core holding of Roe, a woman's right to an abortion, but using O'Connor's undue burden test. Some of us as individuals find abortion offensive to our most basic principles of morality, but that can't control our decision. Our obligation is to define the liberty of all, not to mandate our own moral code. We reaffirm the constitutionally protected liberty of the woman to decide to have an abortion before the fetus attains viability and to obtain it without undue interference from the state. Eight years later, she provided the fifth and deciding vote, this time invalidating a so-called partial birth abortion law. The statute, she said, provided no exception to preserve the health of the mother and thus imposed an undue burden. Within a year of her departure from the court, however, a new and more conservative court reached the opposite conclusion and upheld a federal ban on so-called partial birth abortions. It was a pattern that was to repeat itself in other areas of the law. When she was appointed to the Supreme Court, Sandra Day O'Connor knew she would be a role model for women. She persevered, even through a bout with breast cancer. For a year she wore a wig, looked drained and wan, but never missed a court day. She presided over a period in American law when women moved from being anomalies in the courtroom to the majority of the graduates in many major American law schools. And she left a profound mark on the history of the Supreme Court and the nation. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. This is 90.9 WBUR. On Wall Street, stocks on this first day of December built on their November gains. Today, the Dow rose more than eight-tenths of a percent. S&P rose six-tenths of a percent to finish at its highest close of the year. The Nasdaq grew by more than a half percent. In the forecast, overnight tonight should have some drizzle. Temperatures only about 42 degrees overnight. And then clouds spend the weekend drizzle off and on tomorrow, back up in the mid-50s. Sunday should be gray with lots of rain likely, right about 50 degrees. This is WBUR at 623. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Babson. 
top-ranked in entrepreneurship by U.S. News & World Report, Babson's MBA prepares you to tackle global challenges. Babson.edu MBA. And Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. Exploring, understanding, and protecting our ocean starts with you. Join a team dedicated to advancing science and technology for the global good. Discover career opportunities in your field at whoi.edu team. I'm Daryl C. Murphy. The journalism you get from WBUR depends on a strong foundation of listener support. And that's why your monthly gift is crucial. Make a modest monthly contribution that will have deep meaning and a big impact every day. Give now at WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And what we hope you'll pledge for is all the news that you've heard on WBUR today, what you hear every day, what you get online, when you, what you get when you uh, listen to our podcast and, and uh, attend events at City Space and read our newsletters so much. Plus, one more thing, sweepstakes anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. But the sweepstakes doesn't have an unlimited time on it. You've got to call or go to WBUR in less than 36 minutes. 36 minutes is all we have left to get in on this sweepstakes for your dream vacation anywhere around the world. It's a trip worth about $10,000 and someone will win it, but it's limited to the people who are able to uh, call or go to WBUR.org before 7 o'clock. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call. I won't sing along, but I did want to hear the end of that phrase. <laughs> such a go on, such Lisa. A great, not happening. I need to hear I it. No, you don't. It is <laughs> such a great song. And you know what? You could be leaving on a jet plane thanks to um, WBUR if you win these sweepstakes, but you can't uh, win if you don't call in and get your chance in. So it, you don't have to be on a jet plane. Well, maybe you can be on a jet plane and then get on board a cruise ship, take a river cruise to the Danube, or get on the uh, Marrakesh Express and uh, go hike the Atlas Mountains, which is an amazing thing in, in the Atlas Mountains. They could probably use your business right about now. Um, and wherever you decide to go, just know that we can't get you there unless you make a pledge. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. Just about 33 more minutes before this offer is up, which is at 7 o'clock tonight. one 800 909-9287 is the number to call. And again, we offer you these sweepstakes because we think they're a wonderful uh, partnership between uh, us and and businesses that support what WBUR is trying to do. We think they're uh, a little bit of extra oomph to get you to call or, or to donate online. But most importantly, if you do that, what you can get, be guaranteed of, and Lisa, you actually said this earlier, I think it was so important, you're guaranteed to win. Not necessarily the sweepstakes, but you're guaranteed if you don't get that trip, you'll still get the fact that WBUR will stay strong and independent and be able to take you via the radio to news around the world. And I think that is worth something, too. But the question is, how much is it worth to you? 
Come up with a figure, come up with a number, whatever you can manage, and then call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. And just remember also, we, when we raise money during these fund drives, we do not take for granted that we're going to make the amount. There have been times when we absolutely haven't. Uh, There are times, maybe some of you remember, that we have made it in the last hour or last couple of hours or last couple of minutes of the fund drive. Please don't wait. Um, We hope that you'll make a pledge and make it soon, sooner rather than later. But also, you know, frankly, the money that we need to raise is based on actual figures because it is extremely expensive to uh, do news. It is the most labor-intensive kind of programming there is. So because that is what we do, and we do it so well and take it so seriously, we hope that you will fund it right now. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. We're never going to send you a bill. We're never going to tell you that you've got to pay up now. We're asking you to make a voluntary contribution in whatever amount you want. Those contributions in the past are what's brought you every single story, including that great story on Sandra Day O'Connor that you heard from Nina Totenberg, the best person position to mm. tell that story. So all of these things come thanks to your pledges in the past. Make a pledge now and help guarantee the future. one 800 909-9287 is the number to call. And every single part of WBUR, literally, you have had an impact on with your contributions. This microphone that we're speaking into, it's thousands of dollars, yes. actually, for these microphones. So you can actually say, after having contributed to WBUR, that if it weren't for me... Megna and Lisa would not be able to have the actual microphones that they speak into. Some people might be happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm let's set saying. those folks aside. <laughs> or if it's not us that you love, think about the person at BUR whose work you admire most and contribute in their name. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call to do that. Pledge for what you appreciate about WBUR. Decide how much is worth to you and make a pledge one 800 wburorg Just 30 minutes left to get your name in, entered uh, to win the sweepstakes for a trip anywhere in the world with worth $10,000. Make the call now. Thank you so much. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Don Foot Contracting, an integrated design building company committed to managing your entire home renovation project at house or donfoot.com. Beauty on time.